someday soon, that will be a commercial break for our famous sponsors. <laughs> We're looking for sponsors. I'd love to uh, be sponsored by some great places like Animal House Fitness. I've seen some of their work on uh, Instagram with some uh, interesting products that make training easier. Um, and maybe someone like Fat Sal's in Westwood, shameless plug with no remuneration, but um, we're looking for sponsors out there. So that, that would be during a commercial break. And um, I want to talk a little bit about Rodney Van and uh, our special Bruin editions. Um, Rodney's now coaching at Camarillo High School, sorry, Cabrillo High School in uh, Long Beach. And uh, we're looking to hear from him shortly about uh, what's going on there. But we just got word that Kevin Young has entered the room. So we're going to let him in. And there he is. He's connecting. He can't hear me yet. He's on mute. I am unmute. He's unmuted. <laughs> yes, can you hear me or see me? I'm trying to get my lighting together. I, I was downstairs. Yes, sir. And it's nine o'clock where you are instead of noon where I am. So that makes it harder. <laughs> I had a, uh, hold up, let me see. That's not working. Oh, nice. my wife got me one of those little click lamps that I've been using for. Oh, man. <laughs> I've been trying to figure this this uh, social media thing out for a minute, trying to get little equipment and stuff. For crap. Yeah, yeah. She got me a little dock that allows me to plug things into my computer, and now I got a little uh, microphone hooked up to it and a little light. So let me see if I can find my light switch. At least I think there we go. Ah, uh, uh, there we go. Better. better. Uh, adjust the light <laughs> a little bit. I don't know how long this uh this power pack is going to last. All right. Well, we'll take what we can get. Kevin Young, how are you, man? I'm fine, man. It's funny. I just got back from Lausanne yesterday. I drove down there uh, to the track meet, and it was really cool. Uh, yeah. Yesterday, it was two days ago. Uh, yesterday, or this morning, well, two mornings ago. Right. And uh, I was. I just got got back here actually to, to Zurich, and then I uh, end up. Saying, you know what? I can go to I can go to Lausanne. Um, three hour drive from 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 Zurich. And the car and the wife got gave me the car to take. I said, cool. So I did just that. And to my surprise, I had, I, it was, <laughs> I got there to the meeting. Um, the meeting director, Jackie Delapierre, I emailed him. I didn't get to talk to him on the phone. And he said, yo, Kev, uh, yeah, yeah. You, um, you know, like it was a bit of a rush. Me wanting to go down there for him to kind of lay it out, you know, spread it out for me. Right. And what eventually happened was he said, I'm going to leave you some passes and um, credential, a little wristband to get in some of the venues, VIP stuff that they had going on. And I was like, bet, bet, bet. So once he had mentioned that to me, I got in the car, shot down to Lausanne. Um, it was a storm on the way, because I guess the storm was moving away from, from the east going to west. Real bad, nasty storm. I drove through it, got to Lausanne, it was beautiful. I get to the meet. Can't call, can't find Jackie. Obviously, because you know, he's a meet director. Meet has, has started. You got all the top the the athletes, uh, all the Swiss athletes there. Of course, top American athletes are there. Most of them, Jamaican athletes. Uh, and I had no idea that at the particular time, 
when they finally got in touch, Jackie, I was in the VIP, one of the VIPs standing off to the side of the information booth, you know, and one of the gentlemen was on the telephone trying to kind of call folks around did that. Long story short, I ended up getting walked into the, uh, into the, uh, the stadium. As soon as I came to the stadium, um, Jackie saw me and like, you know, like they got the, basically the tunnels that go into the uh, infield. <laughs> yeah. He was standing in the tunnel and he kind of, you know, directed me to come through. And they were actually putting up the hurdles. I think the women's hurdles at that time. I crossed over the track. As soon as I crossed over the track into, into the infield, he was about to announce me to the, to the audience. <clears throat> uh, they had a presentation they had to do. And then to, to my surprise, they had the IOC president. He was, he was standing right next to him. Um, and he said, okay, Kevin, bring on the infield. Well, he said, he brought me on the infield, shook my hand, gave a big old hug. We walked off. I walked off the infield, out back into the tunnel, the other tunnel. And then I, I waited there. And at that moment, I, I had walked past Sergey Buka and I was walking down a stairway because he was standing up on the top, the top stair to walk on, onto the uh, infield. Right. And when I was walking across the infield, um, my attention was pointed down because I knew I had to walk down the flat steps to get to the bottom. So whoever, I just saw a bunch of bodies standing up there, right? <laughs> right. I didn't even notice any faces. So I walked down. As soon as I get to like four steps down, I stop, I turn around and I look up, right? I said, oh, snap, <laughs> it's, it's Sergey Bupka. He's in right. there. And he was telling me, he was trying to get my attention, uh, but I hadn't noticed him. And then I, I was like, I just kind of bugged out, right? And then I, I looked up and I said, oh, wow, they had the IOC president here, President Thomas Bach, he was there. So wow. was really cool. And then, of course, it was a selfie moment because I, I happened to have my uh, <laughs> my iPhone in my hand. So, of course, I, I had it on video mode. I'm trying to take a picture of the crowd and all. Right. But then when I got did that little procession going back and forth and figured out who I was standing next, then I really started fanning out and started taking selfies with <laughs> the IOC president, which is really cool. That's awesome. He had a pretty cool energy with him too, so I, I kind of like that. Cool. So I went my mouth for the first five minutes, Troy. <laughs> oh man, hey. Well, uh, I was I gave everybody your, your big send up, and I realized after um, you know being a teammate of yours for a couple of years at UCLA, and then you know following your career from afar and all that. But even the time we were there, I realized I didn't know a whole lot about you uh, uh, athletically before you came to UCLA. So I know you're a local kid around LA. So I'm assuming you went to, to high school somewhere in the area and did, did you do anything else besides track and field? Did you play? Any well, my first level was basketball, man. You yeah. Know, first level was b-ball. And it's funny because I guess, excuse me, Troy, I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to get this lighting situation. Taken care of. My first level was, um, was basketball, you know, growing up, man, I always wanted to be Dr. J. So of course that's right. the story I always tell. And I, and I was, I was a good rec ball player, you know, nothing really serious, nothing to be trying to uh, get scholarships. Uh, right. Uh, right. So what it eventually happened was I had, uh, you know, when you're when you're in, in city schools, uh, it's that six period gym period. So you pretty much have a sport to participate in uh, the whole season. And so right. I think when, when school starts in the fall, you have that basketball team to make. So I, early on in my, I guess, sporting career, so I played a lot of basketball. I end up by trying out for the basketball team. I think in L.A. they had C's, B's, junior varsity and varsity. Right. And I think I went out for the B basketball team. And then I didn't make the B basketball team. I ended up making the C basketball team. And uh, so that was really fun, though. And I matriculated to junior varsity my so my sophomore year. I, um, and I believe my junior, senior year, or was it my, 
I know I'm, I end up I end up making the varsity team my senior year, so I ended up playing varsity basketball at Jordan High School. Uh, and like I said, we, we I was I had I had a great time. I enjoyed it. I had some highlights in my career. I got dunked on by Dennis Johnson's little brother. <laughs> Johnson, he went baseline on me and banged on me real hard. I was right. know, on the wing, and I sh I should have just let him take the line and get it off. It just kind of head back up the, up, up, right. up the field, right? Up the, up, up Make the sure you're not in the shot of the poster. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But of course, you know, I was always playing, like, you know, to defend. So I ran out on the wing and he went, like I said, he went baseline and just went sky. <laughs> he went up and reversed on me like this. I was oh. like, oh, I got posterized, man. I got posterized. Uh, that was a highlight of, of my, um, my high school career. But however, I think the biggest lesson that I did learn uh, going to Jordan High School and being a participant in sports were, you know, different, different, different disciplines that you kind of go by. And I really learned my hard work and, and effort um, playing with a lot of the seniors, you know, because I really watched those guys train real hard. And, you know, we were out there doing suicides and diving for balls and all that stuff. Right. So it was one of those situations where you always gave your best, um, your best effort. And even if you're just dead tired, you know, obviously when you're dead tired, you can't, you know, do much. You, you, when, you, when you're dead <laughs> tired, you just go off to the side and just kind of recover, you know. And one thing I know about when you, when you, when you perform like that in front of a coach, they really see that you, uh, you really mean what you're trying to do um, and your effort is genuine. And so I was always one of those type of athletes that all. You always want to feel comfortable doing your best when you had the opportunity to do it. So that was the case uh, for me. Um, but I remember, for me, track was 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 the was the fun part because when I started participating in track in high school, getting just a little bit of cutting in and out. And on the West Coast, we had three hundred meter races, uh, but I wanted to be a high hurdler, man. That was my thing. The high hurdle. I mean, I was tall and gangly. It was like a perfect fit. I just had to learn how to run the race because I had never run the run the highs. I remember when I first started uh, first started track and field athletics. I was a long jumper. I mean, those were the very first disciplines that my right. elementary school teacher, Miss Karen Hillborn, um, Lindbergh High School, Linwood, California. Uh, she had a had us out there, and she was showing us the long jump, the high jump, triple jump. So I remember early on, I became I was a big fan of jumpers. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Willie Banks, Dwight Stone, those guys, Ty Peacock. Yeah, I remember when Paige used to jump. Used to high jump. Uh, so it's funny because I know when you're in school, you were you were a high jumper, you know. So I think that was our big connection. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, knowing, knowing, you know, hanging out with the jumpers. Just, just, you know, uh, that was always a highlight of my life. Trying to you know get better and better at a high jump. I wish I could. I, you know, the fact that being a walk on at UCLA and trying to kind of get in where you fit in type of attitude that you got to have, because, you know, yeah. uh, there's many people out there that fall that are trying to, that are trying out for the team. And this yeah. leading process is basically on, you know, uh, survival of the fittest. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and if you can, and if you can handle the pressure and, and kind of uh, handle being in, at the university and also, you know, being a student athlete, yeah. just kind of,
just got a little connection lag every once in a while. Um, I was, I found that, that I didn't know, first of all, now we're talking Linwood. So that's Long Beach, Jordan, right? So you're no, no, LA Jordan, LA, LA Jordan. Jordan. LA okay. Jordan, funny that's I, close to Long Beach. Too, I was but. all over the place when in middle school. I, I could tell you, just check this out. I went to, um, born in Watts, moved to Compton right after, right after riots around, I guess in the, in the, right. uh, in the 60s, obviously mid sixties. Um, so about 65, I think we moved from 114th street, 113th street to park village in Compton moved there. And I remember going to, um, kindergarten as well as, um, first, second, third grade in Compton. I went to uh, Theodore Roosevelt elementary school, not too far from Lourdes park. So growing up as a kid, I, I knew all about, Right, walking all around through Compton on that side, on the east right. side. Um, my older sister, they went to, one of my older sisters, she had went to Whaley uh, Middle School. Um, so I'm always up Rosecrans, just all over the place as, as a real youngster. Right. Then we moved from there to, where did we go from there? We went, oh, we went from, from there to Lynn, uh, further on to, into Linwood. And when I, um, am I mixing things up? It's close to Downey, right? Linwood. Oh, no, yeah, that's what it was. Um, yeah, exactly. Because you got, you got, you got, you got, you got, Watts, Southgate, yeah. Downey a little bit further down, uh, LA. If you go, well, Jordan is in LA, but further up you get uh, like, uh, yeah. you got Huntington Park. You go south, you have uh, you know Compton schools and all that. So yeah, yeah, in that in that area, definitely in that area, right. Alameda, Slauson, um, uh, uh, Alameda, Slauson, or Manchester, right? Those streets. Um, so I was just always in that area. But I remember when when I um, oh. Third grade after going from uh, third grade in Compton, I moved to Linwood. That's when I went. I moved to Linwood, and I literally, I literally still lived. I lived on the border of Linwood and Compton. It was like an alleyway, or maybe maybe half a mile walk, if let, if that less. I think it was less than that. maybe could have been four hundred meters. You walk four hundred meters in one direction, you're in Compton. You know, I right. mean, literally. So you go to the dairy or the liquor store, you got to walk to Compton, and you walk through the alleyway and come back. You're in Linwood, <laughs> going wow. home. And so I did. That was third, fourth. Well, actually, it was uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. So I ended up graduating from the elementary school from Lindbergh. And it was there at Lindbergh, uh, with the grace of uh, Karen Hilborn, introducing me to track, uh, physically into track and field. I always right. been a track fan, watching on television. That's right. what things, the games, all the indoor stuff they would have on, Wild World of Sports. Yeah. Sort of and, um, so I was a big track fan. Also reading, you know, reading um, sports history and knowing about all the, the great track and field athletes. Um, but it really wasn't until I got to um, to UCLA, and it was kind of it was interesting because when I got to UCLA, I um, I was a walk on. I you know I, I wanted to go to USC all my life. I wanted to be a Trojan. Right. And uh, when I didn't get accepted at USC, um, kind of heartbroken, I guess you would say, and angry at the same time. But I never forget that Coach Art Benegas, He 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 got my he hold of my phone number somehow, um, and he called me on the phone. It was it was a uh, it was surreal, I guess you would say, because he called and he picked up the phone, and uh, he really he said, "Well, we don't, we don't, we can't give you a scholarship this, you know, this year, um, but we'd love for you to come out for the team." And I was like, "Okay, bet, bet, you know, I'll be there in the fall." Um, and so, in my head, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what, you know, what is it going to entail to make the uh, the UCLA roster? Yeah, uh, that's it was, so. It's yeah. funny because you you and I had the same experience. I was. Uh, you know, CIF champ and all that went to state, but no, no, nothing from anybody. I, I keep I took third at state. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, 
runner up. When it, at six ten now in high school, you can go anywhere. You know, and back then it was like <laughs> when I came into UCLA, I was number seven on the depth chart. You know, six ten and three quarters. And then, um, you know, the first time I talked with uh, with Coach Larson. You know, he goes, yeah, I'm the jumps coach. I don't really know much about the jumps, but, you know, I'm working <laughs> mostly, mostly Dell and, you know, Lee. Right. And then he goes and I so I looked at my goal. Well, I was a walk on. I go, what what is it going to take to to get a scholarship? And he went, <laughs> he just kind of laughed. And I went, what are you laughing at me for? And then he goes, well, you jump, you jump seven, two and we'll talk. You know, so my sophomore year, I jumped seven, two. And that next Monday, I was sitting in his office when he came walking in. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, you want some money? I go, yeah, that'd, that'd be nice. And so they they hooked me up. But uh, I didn't know that you were a walk on there and that uh, I never got called by anybody, though. You got a call from Art Venegas. Now I'm jealous. I'm yeah, I got the call. I didn't know who that guy was. <laughs> yeah, I got the call. And it's, it's so funny. Like I said, I'm trying to figure out to this day, how do you even get the number? Maybe he saw the, uh, the number on the application, you know, that UC application where you you, could, you fill it out and you check the uh, three boxes of the three schools. Yeah. That, uh, your top three schools that you want the application to be mailed to right um, I maybe maybe grab it from there um uh, <laughs> the they offer something like that administration but like you said I, that was my experience uh, and so that fall it's like it's a trip because you go to you go to ucla and you see guys who got the scholarship that you competed against while you're in high school right you know and some of those guys you would say okay i can see them getting a the scholarship but there's a couple guys you say I just, I guess I, no one, I had no one to politic for me or kind of reach right. out earlier in the, in the spring and summer um, to make sure that I had a little padding on financially. And I, that was, dude, I didn't know nothing about uh, recruiting no. in high school. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I was thinking about, I did, I did one visit. I went on one visit in high school and it was to Cal Poly Pomona. And we had a guy named Jeff Williams who was a quarter mile at Jordan. And he graduated a year or two before I did. And he had went to Cal Poly. And so when I remember he was talking to his coach and he said, uh, you know, we maybe have a young guy from my high school to come out here to uh, join the team. So actually I took a visit with Jeff one afternoon. He came up, I remember he came on campus and we uh, planned on driving up to uh, Cal Poly that one afternoon. And he scooped me up. We drove out there, walked me around the campus and met the coach and it was it was a really a really good positive visit. Uh, I got to give the coach. I forgot what his name was, but uh, I don't remember his name. I can't think of the guy's name. The coach at Cal Poly at the time, but uh, shout out to him. Uh, he was he was you know he was the first one that even considered the possibility of giving me a little money to go right. to school there. Uh, but when I when I you know like I said that was still at the time where I was hoping I was going to get into USC. But when I didn't get into SC, and then I got the uh, actually the way I, I found I got I didn't get into USC was I had got a, a letter. I got a letter in the mail and it's basically saying, you know, thank you very much for uh, um, seeking the uh, attendance at USC, but unfortunately <laughs> you didn't get thanks, our- No thanks. Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks basically. I got the heartfelt letter and I was hurt, bitter, but like saving, the grace was saved by uh, Coach Venegas when he called and just said, you know, the opportunity yeah. of trying out for UCLA's track team. You know, I knew about Foster and then of course, huh. Um, half of, well, if not more, half of the, the, the sprinting squad at Team USA were all you know, either former Bruins yeah. or training at UCLA. Um, and so it's yeah. funny, when I got there that fall of 84, I was in awe. I was like, yo, Joyner, Kersey, Bolton, yeah. Brown. Yep. Hooks. Hooks. Um, yeah. Flojo was there too, wasn't she? Flojo. 
Everybody all of them. Jack and yeah. you know, Jack was our teammate, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he was, he was playing Jack. basketball and running track. You had right. Bobby right. Kersey coaching. You had, uh, you know, and then Calvin after, Brown was uh, out there. Yeah. After you and I got rolling, John Smith came onto the staff. I remember, I don't remember John being there my first year. It was 84, I remember mostly because of John Brenner, who was throwing shot. Jack, and this came, in, Jack, came, in, Jack came in at 85? I think so. I want to say so, because I remember Steve Lang came in that year also, and I think they came in together. Right. So John was, so there, was there in 84. John 85, was 86 was my junior and senior year. And then that's now that's my, question. my question was, because it you know, a lot of the famous guys came in after, you know, you had Mike Marsh, exactly, and Danny exactly. Everett, and Henry, Henry Thomas, all those guys came in my senior year, your sophomore year, and then they all became, a lot of those guys became Olympic champions. Steve Lewis was not there yet, um, you know, so you had that. But then my question was, when did you start working with John Smith? I started making my sophomore year. It was actually, it was, it was 86. I had, because um, um, Alan Rigby, Coach at Mission VA. I remember Oakland. Alan. Coach. Coach. Yeah. Coach, right. They brought him in as a high hurdle coach um, to um, supervise, I guess, you know, the men's, the men's team, the men's hurdle, hurdle squad. And right. I remember the first year, the first year is training, you're training with those guys. But the interesting thing about it was um, I hadn't done much on the quarter mile side at all. I was basically mm -hmm. doing jumps and running the highs. I was triple jumping, long jumping. And running the high hurdles and it wasn't until john got there and i think i had gotten up to 5109 yeah well john was still there well no john had just gotten there but um i made i got through that first season and i think i was maybe fifth in pac 10 in, in the pac 10 my yeah. freshman year um but i realized that our, our top high hurdlers none of those guys really wanted to they really didn't care too much for the longer race Right. And that pretty much became my end. I was like, okay, the only way for me to really secure my spot um, on the squad was to see if I can raise the, raise the bar, I guess, in, in my bar, I guess, <laughs> in first. What right. eventually happened was I remember one afternoon training with, it was, it was, it was in the fall. I was training, of course, with, with the hurdler, hurdles, hurdlers. So we're all doing drills. So we had, you know, hurdle drills. They would, you know, set 10 one direction, 10 the other direction, doing all popover drills over 100, 110 meters. Um, Hundred hurdles back to back, and we did all the hurdle drills, the the the, um, the jump roping, the bounding, all that good stuff, plyometrics, and then after I had done all the hurdle the hurdle workout, a warm up workout, and then John, I remember uh, he was working out the quarter milers, and you're right, um, the freshman athletes there that um, who, are, who are, I think Mike Marsh, Marsh. yeah Marsh, Marsh Everett, Danny uh, Everett, those guys were right. Henry you know, Thomas, were, Henry Thomas got hurt right away, but. The other guys were, sure yeah. Did. So they were there. So I actually started training with, with, with Danny. And I remember John asked me one afternoon, uh, so it's sophomore year. One afternoon, he said, I'm going to you run a quarter. Because, you know, when, when, uh, when we were there, I was hanging out with, with D. Biggs and Howard Colburn and, yeah. and White and those guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and... Whoever Dwayne else. Washington, you did Dwayne D Wash, yeah, D Wash. Yeah. We had we had we had Trevor. Um, so you're hanging out with the long and the triple jumpers. I'm hanging out. I'm hanging out, I'm hanging out with the jumpers, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I'm hanging out with yeah. the jumpers because I was I'm jumping as well. So I'm hanging out with those guys. Hanging out with Milan Tiff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So that was the that was the squad. And the fact that it was crazy because I remember as well as 
hanging out with the throwers too, because I was the skinny dude. You know, it's just the anticipation <laughs> that was all about. Uh, so you had, you know, you had, you had Brennard was out there. You had Fred, yeah. you know, Fred was out there. Bill Green was there, of course, uh, working out with Art. Uh, yeah, Frazier, Iceman, Iceman. Iceman. Mike Schmidt was out there. Um, Jim Banich. Jim Banich. Yes, right. Banich. Uh, yeah, yeah. Coaching yeah, at yeah, Texas yeah. State now. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a head coach at Texas State. I had no idea. Got that gig, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So those guys were out there. So we had a, a motley crew, I guess you could say, of just um, <laughs> at UCLA. Um, and everybody's pretty much trying to figure it out, especially the underclassmen. If you weren't, yeah. if you weren't included, and have a scholarship you you know obviously the guys in our position we're, we're trying to get in where we fit in and try right. to do our best and, and then keep the attention the good attention on us and the bad attention away from us um so what eventually happened is um i started working out with the quarter milers in, uh, in my i guess quote unquote off time from the highs right and it was one of those things which uh i became a better well i became a quarter miler one afternoon it was like i want to john said i want you to i remember i'll never forget this he said i want you to do uh First, he said, have you ever done a quarter? I said, no, I've never done a quarter. Right. I said, no, I've never done a quarter. I've only done 300-meter hurdles. I don't, you know, anything beyond 300 meters, I'm not, I hadn't done. I'm not doing. Right. I didn't, not that I'm not going to do, but it was never forced upon because we never right. had really a uh, great They knew what they're doing, yeah, yeah. At high school, right? So yeah. So he basically said, that I've just, you know, my hand time, you can run around the track. I just want you to execute. Um working on your stride uh, length, stride length and knee lift and that sort of thing, arm swing, just basically biomechanics and just kind of right. around without trying to be really heady about it. I said, cool. I was kind of tired because I just did all the, the hurdle, the hurdle popover drills and all that running. And he said, just relax and just don't even think much about it. This is not a, you know, not, not even a time trial. I just want to see what you can do on the track. I think I ended up running a hand time of 40, maybe 47, eight or 48. Really? It was, it, oh. was sub, it was sub 50 point, right? It was sub yeah. 50. And, um, I remember D Biggs. I remember D Biggs is screaming and because I know we, we've always we always had real good vocal support while being out there on the track. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Where it could be pretty annoying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the screaming and the yelling and all that. As so I made it around the track, and uh, they were surprised. I was surprised even that I was able to you know get around the track like I did. And then I think John just started going, "Okay, hmm, yeah, all right, yeah." Uh, and then that became that was that became the time in which my workout started to mesh and it was like, okay, half the time with the, with the drills were always with the high hurdles and right. then I would do the quarter milers and do the quarter mile workout. And then from there, um, we started to mesh workouts. So yeah, at least, um, incorporating the hurdles into the distance of the, of the track, right. as opposed to just 110 meters on straightaway. And meeting at a mind, John and I collaborated. It was like, we just, you know, hit and miss, hit and miss, just trying yeah. to figure out because he, like I said, he wasn't a hurdles coach, obviously. Right. Um, and he wasn't much of a sprint coach because um, he's a quarter miler. Right. Um, but because I, I remember when he got to UCLA, he had a lot of um, pushback from the, from the sprinters. I remember yep. that. I do that. I remember that too. Yeah, he had a lot yeah. of pushback from the sprinters. And he kind of, um, and since he had the great recruiting year, the quarter milers, he had a way of just kind of being consumed. Uh, yeah. You know, developing the ones they had recruited when I was there, uh, and I believe that was Anthony Washington. I think Anthony Washington from AV got recruited. Yep. Uh, I think he was class of '84, so he was there. Had Henry you had him. You had, uh, had Danny Everett, and then Danny. Yeah, Danny. 
those relay teams were something else. I remember the years. Now, did you end up running on that four by four? Because I remember going yeah, to SMU. Remember SMU in '86 when we went there, and they had that great team. And they only yes. they took like 15 of us. They just took the top 15 UCLA guys, no matter what the event. And they right. put us in those two bedroom condos. You remember those? They picked us up at the airport. <laughs> they picked us up in the airport minivans. They drive uh -huh. us to these two bedroom condos. And I'm like walking in going, these are nice. And that, that was before SMU got the death penalty for football. So when, when we walked out onto that track, you remember that track was like this perfect practice track. They had a football field, another football field, this uh -huh. huge locker room with like a little bridge. It was a bridge. Cause yeah. I mean, the addition, you know, the addition around the girl, she, I don't know how she jumped off the bridge or did uh -huh. something. I forgot what her name was, but she, um, she, uh, she, she, uh, Attempted something. Huh. I don't remember what her name was, but that was the high, that was like the highlight of, of right. What I remember uh, that that relay though against SMU was oh, that was hot. Man. It was, it, yeah, was, it was hot. It was it was that, that was that was like the turning point. Literally the turning point of that that eighty six season was a turning point, obviously for me as mm -hmm. a uh, as a hurdler, because you know, like I said pre prior to that, I went fifty one oh nine um, in the in the conference, and that was my that was it. And I think that year everybody went to Texas for NCAA. Yeah. Of course, next year was like I said, my big breakthrough year, and that I ran fifty one. Oh, I ran fifty one on fifty one on nine. But then the, the next year I came back. I'm sorry, my sophomore year. That's when I ran the forty eight seventy seven at national in Indy. Right. Uh, I remember Mike. Mike was the, was the, was the top seed to win the long jump. He gets hurt. He can't. He can't uh, win his national championship that year in eighty six. Um, we had that hot relay, you know. And um, yeah, it was. And like I said, I had I had the great hurdle race. And uh, what typically happened, what happened in that hurdle race was amazing. Um, but I'm gonna flip back. I'm gonna go back to the relay. On the relay, we had Pony, myself. We had, we had we had we had a, a variety of guys. We had Stanich, John, right? John Stanich, uh, myself, uh, Anthony Washington, and ever and, and, and Henry and Danny, Henry and Danny, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And I think Danny always ran anchor. If I remember Danny right. Always ran anchor, and I, I ran second leg. I was you know and. Stan, I mean, that was great. The Stanish ran third. I believe gave the gave the stick to Danny in that final. And do you remember when 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 Stanish got to about three hundred meters when the when the uh, everything got bottlenecked on that turn? Oh, uh, he, he was trying to he was in the turn. He was trying to make a move. He got cut off. And he had to back off. He tried to make a move. He got cut off. He had to back off. And then finally, he he made a move, and they tried to they tried to collapse on him. And he just busts kind of right through and then batons flew all up in the air. <laughs> they would keep his in his hand. <laughs> he, he dashes through. I'm surprised it wasn't a protest. Right. Uh, and that call, but John ran his ass off, man. And I gave his stick to daddy. And like you said, we had that great, we had that great run. SMU, we had that great team. Kevin Rosey, Roy Martin. Yeah. Uh, did we? I don't even remember. Did we win? It was I, we no, 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 no. It was second, SMU right? Won. SMU won. Yeah. Roy Martin ran a hell their of home a track. Leg. Yeah. Yeah. Ran a hell of a leg, and then um, um, oh no, no, you we, we had that nationals at, at Indianapolis that year in '86. Yeah, I was talking about the relay though. At, at oh, that relay. Oh, the relay. I think they beat us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they ran a hell of a yeah. relay, and they won that. We we, we were runner-ups. We were so, we took second place, yeah. but it it was like a no one really expected us. But but right. we, we we did run some good times though because you know oh, yeah. back in every like every Sunday, you know when we had our, we have our, our meets on the weekend right on Saturday. But when when the when the Sunday times would come out, 
it would have all the stats or even that Monday paper because they had the, they right. had the, the stats from east east to west coast and north to south. So all the, all the schools and the universities, right. colleges in the, in, the, in, the, in the nation. So by Monday, you know, between Sunday and Monday, you have the statistics, but by Monday, you have all the times from all over the different different schools. And you could you would compare, you know, who had the who had the flyest weekend at, you know, I remember we had like the we had one of the fastest. Oh yeah. Pull by, one, pull by four times one weekend, and then SMU had the had the fastest. So it was like the, yeah. somewhere down the road they're going to meet up, you know. Yeah. And 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 NCs was that big meet, and of course SMU did their thing. Uh, yep. But it, it it let us know as 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 a ragtag UCLA team, young freshmen on the squad. Yeah. Uh, came in eighth. Had, you guys came in eighth that year at nationals. We came in eighth. That was my only yeah. year to go, and yeah. we came in eighth. And then you guys won it all the next year. Won it all. We set a collegiate record, ran uh, 300 74 at yeah. LSU. We broke SMU's record. I believe they had set the record prior to that. Yeah. And yeah. We ran. Um, then, of course, we went to, uh, to, to, to Hayward Field. Yeah. To, to Eugene. And we set the NCAA record uh, this, this stiff for about 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, I keep thinking back, uh, the time that we were there, Kevin, um, is really a boom time in sports at UCLA. Like when I got there as a freshman in, in 80 fall of 82, we won a Rose bowl against Michigan. I think we won three of the next four Rose bowls. We beat, you know, Illinois. I remember watching Eric ball work out yes. in the weight room yes. and, you know, just, uh, just so many great athletes, you know, and then we get there. Aikman goes there, you know, uh, Ken Norton jr. Who I'm I dying mean, to get on this podcast. Someday. Of, of, of Hall of Famers. Oh, man. great, great football so, players. And then you got Reggie Miller, you know, playing basketball. I remember bumping into Reggie in the weight yeah, room. Jack, Jack was, Haley. Yeah. Reggie, Jack Haley. Mike you know, these Hale, guys played course, NBA ball, you know, get still bumping elbows with Sidney Wicks was, would be down there right. working out still. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jack, he looked like Orlando Woolridge. He was a huge yeah. dude. Oh, we had Poole Richardson was there. Yep. Yep. That's right. I remember uh, Pooh. And uh, so, you know, and then we had these track and field was, you know, on the up again, you know, after Coach Bush retired, Coach Larson gets yeah. another title. And then we start cranking out Olympic gold medalists, right. yourself, right. Steve Lewis, Even Steve Everett, Mike Marsh. Yes. 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 So that was yeah. a, you know, that was a time that where everything was just clicking. Now, you know, we've, we've been talking about this this last couple of weeks. I've got well, another. Version, uh, <laughs> well, you know, we're. We're still out there, but um, football is back, coming back, and so is basketball again. But um, it's just kind of interesting now with this whole. What do you think about UCLA leaving the Pac-12 and going to the Big Ten? How how crazy is that? That is really crazy. Um, it's it's really interesting because we got we get this the, the football team. They really got to start cutting the mustard now. I right. mean, they were you know they they really get to get an opportunity. But then again, another what happens again? You get a lot of guys that's going to be recruited in the Midwest who probably wouldn't go get a look. Um, yeah, yeah. Would even gave a look to UCLA because they're probably going to go to Oklahoma, Texas. Yeah. We're going to have to compete in the really, know, really recruiting. So I definitely love football level is going to going to shoot up. I'm hoping. I'm hoping now. How are they going to? Is is the is the, is are the, the? Is that just a schedule for the football? Possibly the basketball team. I, yeah, if he's going to hit all sports, sports, yeah, the uh, travel is going to be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But the football. idea just for those two sports. Or are they still yeah. trying to figure that out? That's whole scheduling. I'm sure they get, they got a couple of years here. Right? The, the thing that I thought right away was, you know, when we were kids, it was, 
you know, SC versus Ohio State or, you know, whatever. It's the rivalry. One time a year was at the Rose Bowl, right? So you get one of those. I'm like, we're going to have a Rose Bowl every week. (laughs) It's going to be like, we got to go against Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, you know, Penn State. I'm like, they're loaded, right? I'm just like going, we better step up or we're going to get, you know, steamrolled. (laughs) The the football team will start looking like track team. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. We just had, um, I had a, a podcast with uh, Maurice Jones Drew, which um, and he doesn't know yet. Right? Maybe he does. Rodney told him, I, I forgot to hit the record button. So we, we spent an hour together and uh-huh. talked about all this stuff and it, it never even got recorded. So we're going to have to do it again. But we were talking about um, the same thing. Yes. I, I put a sticker on the screen, Kevin, that says, don't forget to hit the record button. So and I, I made sure I was doing that intro before, but thank you for the reminder. Um, I've been accused by many of being a little absent-minded, but um, we did talk about some of the same things. And, and Maurice Jones-Drew was talking about how well football and track go together. So he was talking about, you know, to get, you know, these top guys and get them, both Rodney Van and uh, him. And then we were talking about him running against um, Reggie Bush you know, in high school, and they were both obviously great, you know, track guys and also great football players. So we went through that discussion. Um, my my next question for you, uh, and this is, you know, watching you win the gold medal was amazing that year and, and watching you compete against Edwin Moses, who was the man, right? He was, had, had not lost a hurdle race in like 11 or 12 years or something like that, had like an 80 matches, I remember, winning streak that included at least two gold medals. I'm sure he would have won another one if he had gone in 80. And, uh, you know, just amazing athlete. And then here you show up and, you know, you're on the come. Everybody knows it. And this is this huge showdown. And you show out, win the gold, break the world record, and end the winning streak of Edwin Moses. Amazing. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, Well, I guess the buildup to that was definitely – uh, my highlight of season as a collegiate, I matriculated very well, I guess you would say, because um, literally from someone who was a 300 meter hurdler in high school and then slowly, may, you know, improve upon what I need to do as a hurdler. And it's just one thing is I, I had all this, this talent. I just didn't, you know, didn't know how to use it at the time. And the, the one of the biggest or the greatest highlights of my I can't say of my track and field career literally was in 1986 when I faced Danny Harris you know Danny Harris yeah. is a California high school legend especially if you're a hurdler so we I knew who he was and the fact that we all watched him back in 84 you know when right. the silver medal in the Coliseum so when when yeah. I had opportunity to face Danny my sophomore year in Indy uh like I, that literally was the highlight and so many things had happened in that race um, in Indianapolis. When I, when I got into the race, I had a game plan to run the hurdles. Right. I had mind you, Troy, I just meant, I just broken 49 seconds. The whole season in 86, I was stuck on 50 point. Literally right. it was the Texas relays. I ran 50 point. We had uh, several meetings at UCLA stuck on 50 point. And it wasn't until pack 10 championships in the Coliseum and it's so crazy because when I remember the last time I was in the Coliseum was when I ran the high hurdles in the state meet of 84. Mm-hmm. And only, like I said, I only went to one side, but I knew how to, I could, you could feel how the wind is swirling in there, just the breeze. But I've never been on the infield, on the other side of the infield, and feel how that wind moves around through the Coliseum, you know. Right. And so 
I remember at the Pac-10 Championships prior to the race, I remember asking asking Andre, Andre Phillips, and I said, Andre, yo, how do you run in here? I've never, yeah, I never, I never raced in here. And he gave me some of the, the most soundest advice prior to me getting to Indy. He said, Kevin, this is going to happen. You're going to get in the race, gun's going to go off, the wind is going to hit you right in the face at the second hurdle. It's going to stand, it's going to want to stand you up. He said, what you do is stay with your stride pattern and just, just move through the stride pattern. Don't let it affect you. Then once you get to the top of the turn, the wind is going to shift to your back. And once you notice that shift in your back, just relax and then just push through and move through. And now yeah. you should be okay. And Dre said that and like, like clockwork. Of course, you know, I got the anxiety, the nervous, the butterflies, everything is all over the place. Gun goes off. I take a few strikes out, wind, boom, hits me. And it's one of those situations where whoever is up above you in the stagger, you can see them really be affected by it. So I really noticed athletes running like this. And as soon as that wind hit them, they went and they went, went off. So obviously that was going to affect their, their stride pattern. But yeah. then I got these long legs. So I was able to kind of get through and um, stride through the, through the wind coming to me. And like I said, when it shifted to my back, it just always changed changed my whole continence of the race. And it was just, I was able to go bang, 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 finish up the last three hurdles. And I ran 49.06, first time I broke 50 point. I think I I think at the time that was probably like a, a Pac-10 record. Yeah. You know? Wow. Uh, or a meet record or something like that. And uh, I did that. And I was like, wow, you know, that was my qualifier for UCLA, uh, for going to the national championships. I think I was probably... You know how track and field news used to do the, the, the collegiate rankings prior to the mm -hmm. national championships. So they had like the tell of the tape who, who they, they expected to win. You know, they expected Danny right. Force to win, win since he had already ran the first two. Olympic. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> so when I got there, I actually I actually um, started hearing the names and putting faces, basically putting faces to the names of runners that. Um, I would eventually face and uh, guys like Pat McGee and uh, Kevin Henderson, those guys. Uh, in any case, when I got, but getting back to Danny, I got to the race and knowing that he was who he was, my first, my first uh, strides out of the blocks to the first hurdle was 20, 20 strides. Um, the gun goes off. That's 20 strides of me approaching the first hurdle with my left leg, which is my dominant leg. Gun right. goes off, I fly. I know I got Danny Harrison. I just bolted out the blocks. I get out, I get to the first hurdle. But instead of it being your left, you're on your right. I'm on my right. So I just take it. Bang. I get back <laughs> But not knowing when I get to the next hurdle. What's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on, I'm on the second hurdle with my left leg and my now. So that means then I go to the third hurdle. I'm back on my right leg. So I'm actually going 12 steps instead of 13 that I was thinking I was right. going to do just because of the mistake that I, the, the hype that I got caught up in. Right. That first so now I'm going 12 steps, but, you know, in the, in the, in the moment you're just moving. Yeah. Uh, but I know in my head, I'm not going to be able to hold this on. I'm telling myself, I'm not be able to hold this on for much longer. Right. So I go two, three, four. And I'll never forget. I said, I need to get, I need to get back on my dominant leg, my, my, my left leg. And so I remember right. approaching the, the, the fifth hurdle and then just taking off or, you know, so my, on my left leg going airborne. So I click, I go airborne and, my parabola was nice and high. I get over the hurdle and I land. I clip it with my my toe. My, my toe was dangling, but I made the clearance with my knee, but the foot was dangling. It, it brushes the hurdle, knocks it knocks it over a little bit. I get to the other side um, safely, one piece. So now I'm on my on my normal with my normal gait, right? So I'm 13 now. So I go, I'm 13 six. 
Um, Danny catches me because I got a lead coming in the top of the turn. Danny catches me in a straightaway and he runs 48 33. Either either runs 48 33 or 48 44. But I run 48 77 and I break 49 and I end up taking second place behind Danny. And like I said, that was the highlight of my, you know, of my, of my really my running career because I was, you know, it it was the first time I got a chance to, you know, run against an olympian like that right yeah it, yeah it was, it was totally shocking to me and in fact i got it i got this you know the all-american uh right. recognition and, and, and then of course we come back we do the relay we kick we you know we kick bucket in the relay taking second place yeah with our, you know our freshman squad uh so we on that relay it was uh we had two freshmen and we had yeah and steven and I think and henry steven, come back because henry would have been hurt the whole year but i think he, he came, back. came back right yeah yeah and um just for nationals just for nationals. And so we had Danny, Steve, and we had Stanich and myself. Um, and, and then that was, that was like, got everybody, I guess, on the, you know, on the track squad, like, yo, we got, cause we always, we always had solid throwers, yeah. you know, we always had, you said, always had solid throwers. Yeah, always had, had the throws nailed down. And our, and our, um, our pole voters, you know, we had, we had guys that showed up in the oh, pole yeah. throwers. Curran, Curran's one of the best pole vault coaches ever. The, the treatment he's gotten at UCLA is just a sham. I I'm so upset <laughs> the way they've treated him. It's amazing, but yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting how that got us going. Uh, but in any case, that was like the that's when I knew I fitted in into the into the program. So you know, you you look back and say, "Wow, I was a walk on on the team," and and you get ridiculed. You hear all the little bullshit that, that your teammates your, your yeah. teammates behind your back. Um, yeah. And them knowing you're not on scholarship, they 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 take little digs at you yeah. all the time, you know. And, yeah. and you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta suck that up. That's uh, especially amazing. If you, wanna, if you wanna be out there. I got a question. Do you remember? And I'm wondering if this happened to you. I, I know it happened my freshman year. So this was uh 84, 84, the 84, 85 season. I swore half of the men's team got shin splints. We were all running around in those Adi Star um, mm. trainers. That had the the, the the soul of the suit was was the emblem, the Adidas emblem, was yeah. was the makeup of the sole or the tread of the of the, and those basically like tr- I would say training shoes that the football team mm-hmm. um, were wearing. So for them to be in grass, right? You know, uh, you know, they were fine. But I remember, I remember in my case, and probably another six or seven, eight, if not at least ten or fifty more athletes. All had shin splints really bad, really, mm-hmm. really bad. We had ended up um, have to change those shoes. But I, but I remember as a do you do you do you recall this when you got the knock to go to the equipment room to get your big roll of of, of, of tube socks and t shirts right. and, uh, and and shorts and all that? Yeah. You know, not everybody was privy to that when we got to UCLA. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember the old the old just the gray with the, the blue gray. letters. You know, uh-huh. those and then the real baggy sweats. The real baggy sweats. Uh, the shoes, you're talking about the shin splints. I I think you're laboring under the common misconception. I get this all the time. When people say you ran track at UCLA, I go, no, <laughs> I was on the UCLA track team. I didn't run anywhere. I mean, <laughs> I was a high jumper. I ran 45, 50 feet, you know, so uh, my idea of a long run was 100 meters. You know, 50 meters is overtraining. So... <laughs> I don't know that I ever was in danger of shin splints. 
Jim's um, from running now from jumping yeah but not from those oh, hell yeah oh yeah from jumping yeah, not not from the i i still think uh, i've been thinking about this for the last few years of training but i think sprinting is basically plyometrics itself i mean it's so explosive and so you know that explosive push off you know from foot to foot i go literally sprinting is just bounding from foot to foot oh, so it is. It is. And I would, highly I would, plyometric yeah i would tell hurdlers that was that was the biggest matter of fact it's so crazy remember when i, I would watch my keyboard train with the pole vault right and yeah Mike was a guy i remember he would every now and then he'll jump in that in that 100 meters and he'll put a he'll put a couple legitimate 100 meter guys to shame right uh-huh. <laughs> and i remember my i used to i used to watch because we didn't do many we didn't do a lot of ply we did a lot of popovers uh, obviously and there were always those right. hard plyos but i remember watching mike do a shitload of plyos in the grass or even on the track and uh i'm like okay I, I really locked in with with, with and had with those guys. Mm-hmm. Those pretty much got me together because when 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 we understanding the facility of the plyos, how 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 fast it it gives you the um the well you work on your elasticity, but the bounding itself right. yeah, aids in that explosive that you need. And as a hurdler, yeah. um, it's especially as a hurdler when you when you when you are ambidextrous, um, it helps out a, a lot. Because you really take a lot off your off, off your off knee when you're able to, to b- be able to bounce over there and get the knee over and, and drop back down. So the, the plyo game is, is something that is very needs to be very consistent. I think as as a workout tool for many many athletes, especially hurdlers. Um, yeah. And then, and then typically a good hurdle coach will have his athletes do plyo or a good coach period. Sure. Would have his athletes do plyos unless you're probably a 1500 meter runner or something like that. Well, but then if you're running uh, the 3000, you better do some plyos. They might throw your butt in that. In yeah. that steep. <laughs> I just remember the, the plyometrics really didn't start coming out. Like with the name plyometrics, like it is one of those things that you'd heard of and you kind of thought you knew what it was. And then my senior year was 86. I remember going into Bob Alejo in the weight room and saying, Hey, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to put some stuff together and, and do some plyometrics. So we started, you know, doing some of the, you know, two footed box jumps and, and we at that time were getting kind of creative with it, but it was still, I want to say, in, in its infancy. Even though I think the Russians knew way more about it than we did, because we were learning after getting a little bit of those peaks behind the curtain. You know, what are these Russians guys doing? And they were, you know, doing the seven foot depth drop jumps, and you know, and then exploding up out of those. You're watching that going, wow! I don't know how much of those I can take. You know, and yeah, I owe, I owe a lot of my. Uh... A lot of my season, my 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 success to Babaleo, you know, he he was my he was my strength coach. Uh, you know, obviously our strength coach was UCLA, but when I mm-hmm. when I graduated and finished up and running at an elite level, I um, stood by his side and he had to create the program for '92 for that mm-hmm. Olympic year, which I had. Yeah, and the fact that I guess the osmosis of being at UCLA with all those great athletes there, Olympians there, um, and having that opportunity to uh, be a part of that those teams. Um, but like I said, in 88, which was really cool because um, just it being my senior season and you know how, I, and I, it, when you watch the collegians, especially after uh, la- this year's world championship, you see, or even last year in the games, you find so many collegians, you know, the, the, well, those collegians who are lucky enough to have that long season, right? Go to, you know, USA championships and make team USA. And then to go on and to, to perform after these long seasons through these rounds yeah. and then hopefully, you know, gain a medal or two. Uh, that's incredible. So that was, you know, me, me having, me, me having been part of that experience. I really, 
I really applaud it. And you have, you, have, you, have, you have to really take on a great mindset in order to really have a long season to push yourself th through that. But I guess the fact that it's an Olympic year, World Championship year, those are the type of catalysts that you do need to push you through. Because Troy, think about this. Back in the day, you know, our national championship, we only, you, you, you had an uh, international championship in a sport every four years. Right. You know? Right. You look at it now, you know, it's a biennial calendar. You know, you have a world championship, every, you know, it's two years of world championships in the Olympic Games. But now after COVID, right. we, we just had, we just had Olympics. We got a world championship. Next year, we got another world championships. Yeah. And then Olympics. So this, yeah. you know, they really have the windows, the, the calendars and the windows set up that athletes can get a lot more, um, or have an opportunity um, to make these national teams. Obviously, the seasons are going to still be long. And you still got yes. to effort and do your thing. Uh, but the, the fact that you can have, uh, you can, like I said, we would go, okay, I got four years to train. That used to be our conversation. Right. <laughs> you know, now it was, uh, you know, I got a season to train. Yeah. Literally, literally, you stop and, and, and you have a season. And I think that's the reason why a lot of the younger athletes, well, a lot of athletes now have pretty much called it a season right after, um, after Worlds. Even, I found that a lot of, yeah. not even, a lot of U.S. athletes, I noticed, aren't really coming over to Europe if they don't have uh, enough points in that diamond league schedule that they do have now. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's, it's interesting you bring that up, Kevin, because we, we've been having this conversation from for a while. I had Alan Hankel on a few weeks back. Oh yeah. My goodness. We talked about um, the fact that track and field is everybody. It depends on which way you're looking at. It. Some people are saying, Hey, track and field is as good as it's ever been. You know, there's lots of money up at Eugene and, you know, Mount SAC is a gorgeous place now. And, you know, we've got the Olympics coming and, and on and on. And then at the same time, you know, I remember when we were at UCLA and people were talking about going over to Europe. And to me, you know, I didn't have any idea what going over to Europe would entail and, and getting over there and doing that. But it, all I ever heard was, oh, these stadiums are packed with people and they love their track and field. And it's just amazing. And I'm finding out that that's not the case as much as it was, you know, that it's really not quite as big as it was. So we're talking about how do we, you know, increase you know raise the raise the bar of the sport as it is you know like we're talking about because you you just don't see us on tv you only see us on tv in the olympics you know and if we do see us on tv at the big meets now you know the nc2a seem like they're a week or two delayed or and everybody you know, doesn't everybody everybody's not watching the telecast from their cell phones now you know right. back then we gather in front of a big screen yeah and, uh, it's, it's so monetized now that everybody is trying to, you know, you got to pay for this for a link to that. And then you get yeah. crappy coverage of, of the stuff that you paid for. Oh, terrible and coverage. Yeah. My thing is quit trying to charge. Don't first of all, don't charge track and field fans. What they need to do is allow access to the stream of, the tr of, of track and field. Right. It's right. not like you can't afford it. It's billions of dollars already invested. Right. Allow that stream because people spend half the time trying to find uh an outlet to watch the sport yeah where is it i have no idea where it is yeah yeah, yeah. If, it's, if it's if it's continental they got the continental blocks from the you know, the vpns um on the computers so it was like you know i used to hate this dude canada will get all the great track and field They'll show the rounds of, of all the nationalities. They'll show the Jamaicans run. You know, they'll you know they'll tell the guys all the different heats with all the different athletes from around the world. Yeah. You only focus on our top athletes in those events, and if, if our athletes aren't competing in a particular round in the schedule, they won't show it. Right. And we will get, and then 
people be like, yo, did you see Usain Bolt running the semis and set a world record or close to it? We're like, yeah, like who's no, Usain yeah. Bolt? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we didn't, we didn't get that. <laughs> we didn't we didn't get that cover. We got the next heat right. with, with, with Gatlin in it. Um, and it was a qualifier. Um, and I'm like, but then we're in the same continent, you know, North America feed, but they put the zip code blocks on it. Uh. And you Rambling, trying to watch track and field and losing your damn mind because yeah. you get one race and you don't get another race. You get one, and yeah. I'm calling people up in Canada and you know, <laughs> or announcers, and they're right. No. You see, so you know, you, I'm like, no, when, when yeah. the, you know, right before that feed came, it went dead, or you know, this right. line in your region. I'm like, ain't that a bitch? Yeah. <laughs> and so, first of all, NBC needs to, when it's track time, quit trying to monetize it. Yeah. Everybody that let the real because let the real track fans see it and let them engage in it. And once you let them engage in it, I'm telling you, they will their conversations about the sport itself is going to feed the more sponsor. This is just my thinking. Right. Sponsorship into the sport. Um I think it's the it's like they have a template they've been doing and been dealing with for a long time, and they really don't want to get away from what they've been doing, but technology right. is forcing them yeah. to do other things, you know, yeah, I guess mm -hmm. keep up. Um, but from a marketing standpoint, their marketing sucks. It's, right. It just, it sucks. We're not getting any athletes. I, I, I think we, we've talked about this ad nauseum, like I said, it's not the first time, but um, going through and, and looking at it going, well, Hey, who are these athletes first of all? And, and can we, can we market them? You know, you look at, basketball is all about the players. Like most people are, are fans of players before they go to a certain team. They're like, okay, maybe we can get these three guys together on one team and then we'll have a good team. It doesn't even matter where that team is. It's just these three players together. Is that enough to get us a championship? Right. And then football is all about the players from year to year. You know, Tom Brady's still playing. Everybody knows who he is. There's hugely marketable names, but when you come to track and field, unless you're a track and field fanatic, you don't know who those people who are. Is, obviously, let me get, and this is not a trick question. We all should know this. Now, who was the most popular athlete in 2020? To, and, and we're going to go two years ago. Media, uh, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, who would you say? Shakari Richardson. Really? Shakari was the most, well, the most talked about athlete at right. the U.S. trials after her little marijuana situation. Right, she right. She was the most talked. I mean, she was talked about among in circles outside of athletics. You know, we right. talk about sports back and forth. We're, we're track, we're track and field guys. We know this. Yeah. But when you got NBA players and football players, right. and everybody else in these major sports coming about her and and then not just sports people, but people outside of the sport. Right. You know, everyday people walking up and who would never even looked at, you know, really considered giving much attention to attract me. They found that situation about the young girl and and and, and all her little yeah. uh, health issues that she had to deal with and things that she went down, and uh, she was the most talk. I mean, like you got you had you had Hollywood a listers commenting about it. Right now, I was if I was track and field, even on that even on that plane, I would have took that as a uh, a way as a teaching moment and as a, and as a publicity moment to really do something in that in that in that sphere. Yeah, like, I think. Some of it was lost. Mm. Uh, the irony is, I think uh, the irony is was that they had, you know, I, I, Kevin Hart and Snoop, you know, doing Olympic commentary, right. 
you know, they use that as a platform to, to I guess, go outside the, the, the I guess, right. their, their broadcasting channels. And that was cool. That was cool. But I think they, 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 need, to, they need to do what you said earlier. They need to highlight the athletes um, specifically more. Make them, make them local superstars. And I, and I yes. said, that's what they need to do. They need to, you know, highlight your, America, your, your, your Cali athletes, your Texas athletes. Your, yes, yes. I like the teams. I think I think with 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 really would help help track and field. Would kind of go back into this whole. I mean, we, the teams, dual meets, whatever happened, dual meets. Exactly, dual meets and teams. I mean, you got football teams, basketball teams, you know, American football teams. Everything is is, is team evolved. Yes, you know? the track and field is just one of those. You know, they they try to isolate it and like you know this that, but not. We all got these uniforms on with the same color uniforms yeah. or flags or this that and the other. And, 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 and collectively, when you watch when you watch all the world athletic meets, there's always some sort of team component yes. that they've gone upon over the past few years. You know, those I mean, matter of fact, they created events around relays. Yes. Just so they can be more um be more entertaining to the to the to the fans. They got mixed relays now. That's something they didn't have back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, there's been some attempts to uh, you know, get things going, you know, and, and creating more interest and and they've had some limited success, but I think what you're saying too is, I mean, I looked at the golf right now. I, I love golfing and, you know, there's this big upturn on the, the tour and they bring in this brand new golf tour, which, which is offering one a ton of money and this and that, that but it's, it's team oriented. They're, they're putting together these teams with, you know, certain high level players and then other, you know, lesser level players, whatever, but man, everybody's jumping ship off the PGA you know, and going to this, you have, you have and it's like, PGA may be a little stagnant, you know, I mean, yeah, think about it. you, you, know, I mean, you got to be ready. You have to be ready. I mean, it, that was a great, a great uh, set of competition when you had, you know, the old school guys. Yeah. But now they're trying to, they're, they're trying to obviously get younger golfers. I mean, and, you know, they're out there. Like I said, they're just trying to grow the capacity. Yeah. I think they're going to do very well. They're competition they is always well. good. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe there's no competition amongst the people that are doing the track and field. It's like, like you said, you've got this old guard that have been doing it this way forever, you know, and it's like, this is, Hey, this is what we do. You know, we know how to, they have a system. I mean, when I went to the meeting in Lausanne, you know, it, it was a reflection of what how track and field has been managed over the years. Um, and the European promoters and directors, they obviously they have they have their template of how they do it, um, and it make it makes it makes great sense, and it, it makes great sense for the transition from the pro elite athlete. What happens on our side in the U.S. is what we have that you know obviously that collegiate system that feeds into the uh, our international team system, right? Uh, and we have great athletes. And the crazy thing about our collegiate system, we get all the, we have all the internet. Well, the top the top international athletes who compete collegially uh, in America, and that's another thing they should they could they can utilize as a tool. They can literally yes. highlight. You know, you got the young kid from Liberia out of Florida. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you start you know looking at these athletes, you you know you find I mean you have American athletes who have allegiances to other countries. You know, through their their parents or grandparents sure. performing, making these teams and doing exceptionally well. That should be a point of identification for as a marketing mm -hmm. tool by these, and you know, and I can't, I'm not going to try to put, you know, like NBC under under the under the gun because <laughs> they're marketing, they're marketing companies that specifically go out and their job is to do just that. You know, NBC right. is just a platform to highlight it. These sort of packages can be brought to them, or even, or basically even the people who they have, whose job is to 
possibly seek and do things like that, they're not doing their job. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think. I think based upon the amount of money which is always which is already invested, there are many things that they can do for the sport. Many things they can do for the sport. Um a lot more. A lot, a lot yeah. more engagement, a lot more um bringing I mean, to this point, and they may they may do this in the future. I've been the world record holder for almost had been the world record holder for almost thirty years, you know, twenty nine right. years. And that twenty nine year period from nineteen ninety two up until I haven't seen it done. Maybe they've done it up until I haven't seen it done. They never sat down. Myself, Andre, Edwin, Felix Sanchez, Derek Atkins, right? Uh, who else? I'm talking to all the Olympic gold medalists, you know. Yeah. In between. Yeah. Game, they have a they have a sit down and just chop it up about, you know, create a segment for them to talk about not only their experiences in the in the in, the, in that event in sport, but talk about what the other athletes may have meant to them um in the course of their career. Like right. you mentioned earlier how when I was when I was competing, Evan, Evan was the man and he was on his way out when I was on my on my on my on my rise. But I had a different perspective as a as a young hurdler watching this guy, you know, and listen to and listen to the tale of the tape uh, of Edwin Moses, and listen to the, the the fan base and people literally saying, you know, Edwin ran forty seven oh two. He's the king, the legend of the sport. No one's ever going to run under that under forty seven seconds. So of course, and you know, I'm tinkering in my head. Yeah, somebody's going to do it. Um, not that <laughs> right. me, but I got in my head. I got to create a, a strategy. That's gonna make me give me the kind of the type of shape and give me the kind of confidence um, that, I'm, that I feel that I'm capable of running under 47 seconds. And I think the biggest thing was they never they've never done that. Yeah. And as a track fan, I would have loved to sit down and hear Josh Cutbert talk about the 56 Olympic Games and and and, right. and how and and and, and how um, what's the gentleman's name? Um, Herb Douglas was inspired by by the great Jesse Owens when when, yes. when he was. Um, was it hurt when he was uh it was a parade with Jesse Owens in the car, you know, mm-hmm. and he a young kid and 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 he saw Jesse in the car and I only either ran up on the car, shook his hand, or Jesse got out the car. Yeah. They had a connection, they made a connection, and that young kid went on to become, you know, an Olympian. Yeah. Because what happens in, in our sport is it's so it's it, it, put it this way: the IOC, their biggest legacy is their their biggest legitimacy is their legacy. Right. You know, they, they take the, 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 the legacy of the Olympic games. The history and the, the, the history, pomp and the circumstance. And, and, and the times and circumstances in which they've been able to, to push sport in the direction through wars, through famine, through mm-hmm. this, that, and other, all this stuff, the history. It's always a market, earmarking history. With that being said, those particular milestones need to be, every Olympic games, every, every, every company should try to utilize the same template that the IOC uses. Manufacturers, because think of just print ads being made, posters being made, all type of memorabilia being made. Um, and these companies, I see as a mark from a marketing standpoint, they could they, they can utilize this. You know, they can do, they yeah. can, you know, I would I would specifically do, you know, okay, let's talk, let's talk about the hurdles of the hurdles of the 80s. I mean, that's a segment. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about football, American football. You know, we talk about, you know, we talk about that 72 Miami Dolphins team. We talk about yep. that, 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 that Dallas football team, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Landry, when he was, when he was the coach and, 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 and Starback was the quarterback and those guys, you know, right. we, we, we think of history, 
that's what we look, that's how we look at and judge sports. You know, we get yeah. the time, you know, and that's how we, we compare. Um, so thank you for able to formulate that. And then again, you, you, I would like to have a lot of the, a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm very um, biased. I would love to have all the hurlers be, you know, learned in that, in, in that event that they're, 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 they're participating in. Right. It'll be like, okay, Troy, do you know who, who, um, who Dick Fosbury is? And you'll be go. <laughs> Ah, the name sounds familiar. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think if they make that connection, I mean, and, and it's and it's it's like low hanging fruit because every yeah. year, you know, information is there. You just need to just massage it. You know, yeah. It, you know, put it's a, true. Put, I mean, put a and it gives you it gives you more stars to talk about. You don't just have your current stars. You're still talking about the the legends of the past and how they exactly. would compare and you know, where they are now. I mean, Dick Fosbury still is at the, was it the Drake relays every year? Or there's a, there's somewhere back East where he's like the grand high poobah of the meat. Like they, they parade him by his table, you know, and it's almost like he's got a crown and a scepter. And it's like, here you come, you know, it's like, well, yeah, he jumped seven, four. He's Olympic gold medalist. You know, he, he revolutionized the sport. Let's, let's go by and say hi, you know? Yeah. You should know, you know, who he is. It, it changed everything. Absolutely. I love so there, that idea. There, there are ways of doing it. I just think functionally, um, certain things aren't made. And so therefore, when you have obviously programs like yourself and we can have this dialogue, I'm sure someone's going to hear this and it's going to make it to those channels and they're going to hear about it. And then the two of us, we're going to see some changes, you know, because a lot of these things just don't help uh, pop up out of nowhere. You know, you're going to see somebody, yeah. you're going to see a round table, you know, you're going to see it. Like I said, we have great, they're great stories. Because like I said, I grew up in the in the uh, in the shadow of the great Edwin Moses, so my perspective is just that. Yeah, you know, and I'm with Phillips. You yeah, know? yeah, guys grew up in my shadow. You know, um, when I when I when I stopped competing at a high level, you had you had guys like you know we had Felix Sanchez and, and you had Derek Atkins. You know, you yeah, know? you know, and then you have locals. You have the local story because Felix is an SC guy. You know, yeah, and, and Derek is a Georgia Tech guy, so you got all these different you, you, the angles are there. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just have to, be creative enough to do just that and to, to, and to discuss it. But I definitely want to, I, I, I think, well, I think I know that there's an audience for that because I know if, if I want to, if I'm still at 55 years old, still want to sit down at the table and hear what Edwin has to say, I think there's a story behind it. I mean, there's not, I mean, yeah. there is a story behind it because the conversation is great. Yeah. Uh, of Mike Edwin Moses connection and even and, 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 um, and Andre, but folks really want to sit, would like to know. And because think about it, that's what social media is their biggest, their biggest, I guess, um, magnification is the fact that individuals who wouldn't be normally highlighted or isolated in their lifetime yeah. now have an opportunity, you know, to have a million people know what the hell they're doing on the weekend or, you know, yeah, it could be silly, it could be serious, or <laughs> information, right. it could, you know this is happening nowadays so i know if 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 a guy in mumbai is very popular because he can do push-ups or pull-ups then a guy like edwin the folks definitely want to hear well you know kevin when was the first time you when you when you met edwin moses or was there ever yeah. first time? i mean the, i remember in 87 1987 we go to lsu january 4th I think I, I, you know, I'm making through, the, I'm going through the rounds and right before the final, the men's race, the day before, I'm not mistaken, Danny Harris beats Edwin and breaks Edwin's streak. Really? Uh, yes. It was like 
January, June, June 3rd or 4th, I think June 4th, June 4th, 1987, around that time. I need to get, I need to do it as a Google search. But then the following day was my biggest moment, collegiate moment. My second, big, well, my second biggest moment. It was the first time I became an NCAA champion in the hurdles, right? Right. In the individual 400 meter hurdles. So that was a big highlight for me. Then, of course, our relay team does this thing. But that was, you know, that was the, 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 the word. That was like, damn, Edwin got his streak broke. Yeah, right. By, by Danny. So that's a conversation that I, that, that I can have. Can you imagine? Here I am, you know, Danny, one of my idols, you know, in, in the hurdles. And now I got Edwin Moses here at a table. So there's a story about between me and Danny. Then the story between yep. Danny and Edwin. Then the story between Danny and Edwin. And then Edwin and myself, or the, you know, all these different great stories that no one has ever had an opportunity to hear about, you know. Now that, that goes from an individual like myself, to any, the athletes and other, yeah. other events. So that that Olympic final in in '92 was that was you Edwin was Danny in that also was well, it that, no 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 '88 race was the last race Edwin ran Edwin he, Edwin uh, retired after '88 after uh, the Seoul Olympics in Korea in South Korea. Okay, so I'm mistaken. You didn't you didn't you weren't racing no, against no, see, Edwin. I, I made the '88 team, but I took fourth place behind Edwin in '88. Right, right. right. So, uh, so I take fourth place behind Edwin. So four years later. You know, I, I had a, I had enough time to kind of okay, Kev. Yeah, I remember in '88 the, the 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 greatest thing that happened to me, or one of the most debilitating things. I don't even look at it. Um, oh, that wasn't debilitating at all. But I got caught up in the Olympic hype. I remember at one point. I mean, I went out there and ran and did the, my best. But I remember, I rem I literally remember getting consumed by. Being this in the Olympics, the Olympics. yeah, because it's, 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 it's a great, overwhelming feeling because you thought about it, you dreamt about it, you trained hard for it, and you made the team, right? So, I went into the games as I want to make the Olympic team. I never, my mindset never was in the game to tell myself to, to program win. myself to say to win, yeah, you know, because I, I count myself out of the race already. I was like, you know, Edwin in the race, Andre, these guys are you know, 47 right. hurdlers, you know. I've never beat them, and I'm I'm a, just a big track fan. But like I said, my 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 thing was getting there, and I got there. Yeah. And got the uniform, and uh, and I did my best in the in the race. But psychologically, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't a hundred percent. Right. I was fanning out too much. I didn't lock in. Right. And it wasn't until I yeah. that I locked in because even some of the doubts that I had, and I never forget this. Some of the doubts in which I had in my head back in '88. I remember when we, you know, you go to the call room, you know, you warm up, you go to the call room, they do the whole numbers spike check, uh, and then they make sure you got your pins, uh, your, your, your singlet with the proper uniform number on and all this, that, and the other. Because um, you have all that done while you're there. And then you, they, they march you out onto the field in, in the order in which the, your lane assignment is. So we had lined up uh, once we got out of the call room. And remember going from the practice, from the call room into the track. When we get out onto the field, and I remember this little voice in my head said, you remember what happened in 1988? You took fourth place. I'll never forget right. this. And I, my, and, uh, <laughs> wow. And I, I'm, I'm nervous. And I'm going, wow, this is crazy. This is crazy. Because I remember in 88, on the practice track, I'm warming up. I'm feeling good, doing my thing. Uh, you know, it's three rounds, right? And... I think it's three rounds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Three rounds, and I'm on the track, 
And all of a sudden, Troy, my hamstring knotted up. I'll never forget, I had a little ping in my hamstring. And then what bothered me was the fact that it wasn't there. And then it, it tightened up. And I was like, oh my God, where did, where did the strain come from? Yeah. And I remember when I got to the final race, gun goes off, I'm running, I'm going 12 steps to you know, get to the first hurdle, going 12, two, three, four, five, running 12s. And literally, I don't have a strategy in 88. I didn't pick the, I didn't have a sound strategy until 92, four years after the fact. But 88, I'm just running, skinny guy running. And I'm in good shape, but I'm, I'm literally feeling my hamstring grab or that knot. When the when when the hamstring with the leg extend, it can only go so far. Right. They're like this is to the there's a pain threshold there. I feel the pain. I'm like ah, oh, and I, I'm you know, I'm ready to you know get back on the track and ease up on it, and that that happened as I was on the track, uh, and it kind of kept me from really pushing. Then of course you start fatiguing, and that knot gets a little bit more. That lactic acid right. that knot it becomes a bit more painful when you know not knowing. I'm not sure if I got enough leg lift or driver at any moment. It was it going to pull or is it just you know just a cramp? Yeah. And I tell you, I make it you know get to the final, take take fourth place behind them, Edwin. And as soon as I crossed the finish line, I, that night in my muscle went like this and it just opened up. When I was walking along the wow. track to congratulate Andre after he, after he won the race, I'm like I'm going, what the hell happened to that knot? Yeah, that's and so. It, I stressed myself out and I, I can tell you what it happened because I was, it was a heat. It was that heat that I ran against Edwin. I never forget. There was a heat that I ran against Edwin and the fact that I was in the heat with him, I had put the pressure on myself being, being next to him, you know, right. I think right. it was lane two. Um, there's actually a picture of that race that made the cover of, uh, I think the mirror magazine uh, in France. And it was an article on doping, athlete, athlete doping, but it was a great cover that I, that I had gotten. Uh, and I'll, Troy, what I'll do is I'll send you a picture of that. And, um, oh, that'd be great. I'll never forget it because I think I made a caption on, on social media years ago. And I'm walking, I got Edwin's walking this way and I'm walking that way. And you can see the front of him and you can see my back. And it's like right. back to back. I think I put a caption back to back legends on the bottom. Of it. <laughs> nice. So, Really, the photo's really cool uh, when I saw it, but that was the case. And so when I when I got to '92, I remember walking on the infield, and that little voice was like telling, and I was like, "No, no, no, this is 1992." Yeah. And I, I had a series of races against, you know, the field in different places around the world that I was in really good shape, and a lot of things had already lined up. Yeah. In '92, that that was to my advantage. One was, I mean, it, it's kind of mean, but Danny, Danny had got hit with a drug uh, drug violation in May, right before mm -hmm. U.S. trip. A recreational drug violation and uh forced him forced him to not be able to participate and he was just making his comeback right um, being suspended earlier and he was on a tear oh my god he was he was he was the one i mean and, and mind you sam matete had a great year an exceptionally great year in 91 when he won, you know he won the uh world championships in, 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 right. in tokyo but he ran at 47-10 in the, at the zurich meet Right? right, ran past Danny and I like we were standing still, and so early on in the season, you know, if you based upon the '91 season coming into, it, he got to he be one of one, one of the favorites, and then of course I'm yeah. basically 
a winter ground back and forth. He's he's beating up on me, and but we're you know it's it's very tight. You really don't know until right. at the end of the end of the, the game. Sure. But competition wise, it's heated. He gets DQ'd in the in his round in his second round. Really, from a, a lane violation, a trail leg lane violation. Oh, his foot. He crossed. He broke the plane in his lane. His his foot dangled over the over the lane. And and pulled down the hurdle in the guy's lanes next to him. So when when the Swiss, not Swiss, this this the Swedish gentleman went to take the hurdle, as he was approaching the hurdle to, to, to attack it, he already Sam knocked got knocked over. Yeah. Caught it and it was bringing it bringing it down. So of course he's freaking out because he's trying yeah. to take a hurdle falling already. There's a protest, obviously, but so Sam gets DQ. Wow. I gotta worry about Sam. <laughs> right. About Winter, you know, Winter, we have always had this, this rivalry, you know, collegiately. Um, and even collegially, I, I was I, I, I collegially, I was able to the one up Winter, but internationally, he had all the international iron. He beat me at the Pan Am games of 87. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pan, Pan Am 87, he beat me. Um, and then he placed higher than I did at the World Championships in 91. And a few other international meets, so I kind of had that fourth place brand, you know, in the back yeah. of my head, you know, that 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 the barcode, and I'm like, ah, I gotta shake that. But so my thing was, after all that shit happened, Troy, I was like, okay, Kev, you know, you you got to figure out a better way, a better method of of just running the race. You got all the tools, you just got to mechanically put it together. Right. And so that was one of the key things that um, over the years, John and I had locked locked in on. And it was basically, okay, you got a step pattern. You've been going 12 here and there, but you just got to strategically place those 12 steps where you're going to need them to be more beneficial. And I came up with the strategy of just going 12 for two hurdles uh, and to open up about eight or nine meters on the field right in that in that section. And it's just one of those situations where you just kind of hold hold the field off and, and, and maintain your little eight meters worth of real estate right? and, uh, and run out of track, you know, run to the finish line. And so that worked perfectly for me. And just kind of keep my head and not get caught up in the in the you know the song right. the dance goes in your head when you get caught up in the hype. And I was like, when I remember coming to the state of Montjuic in Spain, Barcelona, and I'm like, okay, Kevin, just stick to your game plan. Don't deviate from it because it typically happens you get hyped up and you just you just just go. Yeah. And I just did just that. Now look at in comparison, which in, in which the way the hurdlers are running now, they're just balls to the wall, you know, with yeah. crossing the wall. And I'm like, right. wow. Um, had I done that, I'm sure I probably would have run a lot faster. But conservatively speaking, that was my game plan. Was the um, my game plan was literally to go out there and win a medal. And, and right. Whether it been the gold, silver, or the bronze, it was it was the lead with a medal. After taking fourth place, you just want you just want some hardware. And yeah. As the as 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 when I got to the final, having a game plan and and sticking to it, and not really forcing anything, everything just happened. And it's it's so funny because when I look back at the three rounds, I should have broke. I should I could have broken the world record in the first round, based upon looking at the the tape. I, mm -hmm. I go back, and this was recent when I went back to look at the tape from the very first round. And it's three rounds. I run. 4876. I mean, my number, I ended up, you know, same numbers, but in different order. The 4678, right. it was 4876. And I literally, I literally remember running at least 255 meters of the race and shutting down after the eight yeah. hurdle. 
and literally taking my stride length and jogging. It felt like a big jog between the eighth hurdle to the finish line. Yeah. And I ran the 48.77. I'm telling myself, damn, I could have easily yeah. ran two seconds faster from the for that next hundred meters. Easy. And then I look back at the race, I go, wow. Yeah. The energy, the energy level was there, the stride length was there, the, the everything was there. It was the fact that it was the first round. I was like, yo, I got two more rounds. I, right. I just need to, you know, and like I said, everybody's really trying to figure out what the track feels like. We've been on the right. practice track in the, in the stadium. You know, they had one on, on near the uh, in the village. There's a practice track there. And of course, there's a track right outside the uh, the stadium. So we've been on those, we've been on those tracks. But when you get on the main in within the main stage in yeah. that stadium with the stands, you hear that crowd. And and you're filling it out. It's like okay, it's it's all for all to nothing. And when I remember getting on that track, I had to kind of I had that I had that kind of tension. You know, I had I thought well, I can really go, but I need to hold myself back because I still got to run against Wintrum. And then the right. funny one thing is, the second round comes around. Wintrip runs for a PR. I finally get a PR over all these years. My PR, my fastest time I ran the hurdles was in the. And in, in India in 88 at the trials, I ran 47.72 to make the Olympic team in 88. And that was by photo finish for third place between Danny and Dave Patrick. So, of course, when I get to Barcelona, I'm like, I just, you know, I got to make it through the rounds and we can figure it out at the end. And that was the case. And then, of course, that, soft, that, that second round, I run 47.63. Wintrip runs 47.62. We come off the last hurdle battling out. And I'm like, wait a minute. I remember kind of getting to the finish line. To myself, I felt like I, I conceded the victory because I'm like, wait a minute, we got a final to run in. I felt like I backed off a little bit, right. you know, just so I can appease myself in that loss against Wintrip. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he only beat me by hundreds of a second, he actually had set a national record for Jamaica that day. I had a PR. He ran 47.62. I ran 63. First PR in four years, um, so it's just okay. We get to the final, and, and that was the whole part. Once you got to the final, it's like okay, I got to contain myself. I got a game plan. I better stick to it. I don't know what the hell Winter and these other guys are going to do with 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 right. uh, going to do with the both Stefans are going to do Diaganai and Karistan from France. I said I know what I'm going to do in these lanes. Me and John had talked about it. We put this the strategy together. I remember on the practice track. Um, and this was the strategy, Troy. I knew one of the, one of the things that John and I had worked on uh, in training, coming out of the blocks, running the first two hundred in the hurdles, the first basically the first hundred eighty five meters, which is the first five hurdles, um, was to get there to cover the first eighty five under twenty two seconds. So in practice, we would do you know repeat uh, block work, and I'm running. 21.5, 21.6. It was always okay, a fast tempo, but keep it under 22 seconds. Uh, it's all hand time too, relative. So it keep it under right. 22 seconds. And one of the things we did was I had to learn how to do was was to back off because I would run and feel real, I would feel free and run 12 steps for hurdles two, three, four, and five and run, consider run like 21.8. And I remember John said, okay, I want you to do the same thing. But instead of going 12 steps between hurdles, try your best to go 13, right? And I'm going to time you and we'll see what the difference is. And it's, you know, you may have to feel like you're backing off a little bit. So I would go 13 and do the same thing. 
and run like hand time, you know, 21, eight, 21, nine. So I was like, okay, so I can, I can gauge the, uh, yeah. the speed. And that was the key because, you know, once you do that number of times, getting on that side of the track, that causes a lot of fatigue. Um, and then you get caught up in the moment and you might just run and get to the hurdle and just get to it and just lose yeah. your, your composure. So that was a key thing was, okay, you just need to cover the first five hurdles under 22 seconds um, and then do your best to pick up the next 20, the next five hurdles under 20, you know, under 26 seconds. You know, mm -hmm. you go if you're 21, one, and then, you know, 21, you know, 26 high on the back end, that's a 47 change. So that's, that's what the strategy was. I said, okay, if I could, if I can cover the first half under 21 seconds, but definitely cover the second half at 25 or better. Right. That's a sub 47 second race. So I had locked in on that. I remember when we had a practice, I had to run the first, the first half of the race um, without hurdles. So hand time, that quarter that we did, that, that quarter that I did as that, as a sophomore with John, mm -hmm. him just saying, just run freely right. and execute same thing to the T get out first 25 meters on the sprint. Like we do in the four by four, you just run the first yep. 20 and then engage into your stride length, go to your arms. And then I did that for the straightaway. And then I picked up hurdle six, seven, eight, nine, but I picked up, I stepped out in lane two or three, picked up, cleared hurdle six. Then I had to engage with the stride pattern. So it was 13 between six and seven, seven and eight. And the hard part was for me personally was to, you know, once you started picking up and you know you're on the clock, you want to open up your stride and move. And I knew once I'd done it, I can actually go 12 on the backside, especially after running the yeah. first five, the first 185 meters without hurdles. So my intention was to pick up and then just take off and just run through the second half the best I could. And my job was like, you better go 13 be between the hurdles, between eight, nine, and 10. You know, don't deviate from that. And sure enough, so that was the game plan. Make sure you can go 13 steps between seven through the finish. Right. And how we plan. But because I, I knew in some of the workouts when we would do the, the, um, the 150s, we had a workout in which we would do, we would set up hurdles. I would, I would, I would start, I would start between six and seven, right? And uh, with some cones, I would run up into seven to clear, but I would have to make my, my stride adjustment to make sure it was 13 for eight, nine, 10, and then finish up the race. We had done that a few times and I had covered that, I had covered the first, say that 150, which is seven hurdles to the finish line. It's 150 right. meters, flagpole, bam multiple times I had covered that in about 18 seconds, right? Um, no, actually faster than that. You know, 17 seconds. Right. You know, 16 seconds. It's like running 150. So 16 high, 16 mid to 16 yeah. high. Yeah. Um, so it was just it was just a, an adjustment that I would have to make. And then it was times in which we would I would have Danny and Steve in the inside lanes, you know, and I'm running trying to, you know, simulate the speed with that's that was the problem that I had with at first when I was going 12s on the backside, because we run the 150s with Steve and Danny, and I'm trying to keep, stay up with their um, with their tempo. In order for me to do do that, I'm going 12. And John's like, no, nah, I don't want you to do that. I just want you to engage in 13 to make sure you do 13. You can go 12 if you have to, but you can engage in everything consistent right. because I want you and your dominant leg coming home. Just in case you hit the hurdle, you have more, more stability getting over the barrier, getting on the track and moving through. And that was the case. So I said, okay. The strategy was basically get to the top of the hurdle get to hurdle number seven in at least 29 seconds right that was it, that was it. And, and, and um you know and i and i got there in 20 maybe 28 high and i finished up in what 17 
Yeah, yeah. 17 high, right? right? And when she started calibrating the numbers, it, it was a sub 47 second race. And I was like, okay. And I and even all the mental preparation prior to that, I think um, a, a funny story is this. In 1989, I got my very first number one world ranking, right? Uh, I think Andre, uh, Andre was a top hurler coming from the 88 season, winning the gold medal. He got injured in 89. I had one of the fastest times in the in the, in the world. It wasn't ex- right. exceptionally fast, but it was faster than everybody else. So in 1989, I got my first number one world ranking. Uh, and then that's 89. So my foresight was I needed a number that I need to lock in on uh, as my goal to run under to run a world record. And that number became 46.89 based based upon that year that I was ranked number one. So that was the, okay. the that became my pin number on my on my okay. Yeah. So that was and then I used and like the story goes, I used to write on pieces of paper, roll it up and stick it in my in my spikes. Mm-hmm. And, and then run workouts. And then when I'm tired and I'm resting, I would go under the under the, the sole, lift it up, unravel the, the, the number, look at it, and say, yeah. this is the reason why my head throwing up. This is the reason why I'm busting my ass. Yeah. This is the and I rolled it back up and I stuffed it back in the shoes. And that was like my affirmation of what I wanted what I wanted to achieve. And of course, even in the village in in, uh, in, in Barcelona, Jose Perilla was an 800 meter runner from the uh, uh, University of Tennessee. He was on the Olympic team with us in 88, no, in 92. We were roommates or sweet mates. My roommate was actually Quincy, Quincy Watts. But I remember I was in the room and I was drawing on the wall and uh, with a pencil. And I was writing 4689 on the wall, real small. And Jose was walking by. And he scared the shit out of him. I think he said, he, he called me, um, what did he call me? Jelly Man. <laughs> You'll figure out why he called me Jelly Man. He said, Jelly Man, what you doing? And I jumped, right? I said, I'm just throwing on the wall. And he looked at me. <laughs> and, uh, he says, uh, well, if that's, the, if, if that's the number that you want to run, man, you got to write it a lot bigger than that. And I didn't expect it to say it. Because I was writing it real small on the wall. And right. I said, okay. And I took the pencil and I wrote it really big on the wall. Right. on the wall. And that was my number. And I was, like I said, going to bed, or going in the room, I walk by, you see it and you look at it. Uh, and the crazy thing is, you know, John had started training Quincy um, after Coach Bush had coached him through his collegiate se- uh, season at USC. Right. So he would come over to uh, UCLA and train with us prior to the uh, going to New Orleans that year for the trials. And we were out there, you know, Quincy goes out there August 5th because my race is on until the 6th. August 5th, Quincy goes out there and he, he, he sets the Olympic record, wins the gold medal, right? Uh, so he goes back to the room. I'm looking at him like, damn, man. And I'm telling him, my roommate just went out there. We trained on the track and doing the warm-ups. We hanging out. I mean, we, you know, we're teammates. Right. You know, we're, 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 we're partners. We're all in the village hanging out, running around, going to McDonald's, doing all the crazy stuff. And then he goes out and does his thing, wins the gold medal, set the Olympic record. I'm like, my roomie just went out there and just said, yeah. "What the hell am I gonna do? I know I'm running the world, but I need, <laughs> I, need, I, need to, I need to, I need to, I need to, you know, step up, set my game up, you know." And the next day, my final round, and I go out there, and I, you know, did what I did. I'm happy. I'm, you see me the last what 
maybe 20 meters. I'm smiling with this big goofy look on my face. I'm trying to figure out the air because as, as I'm engaging and I'm running, I don't see nobody around me. So I'm going, I'm not only going to win a medal, I'm going to win the gold medal. And I'm beating, right. I'm beating, I'm beating, I mean, I'm beating Winter. Winter was like my nemesis, you know, my, my friendly nemesis. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to I'm get out here with the gold medal. And then of course, crossing the tape, the, you know, the sub 47 second time, you know, that was like the icing on the cake. I didn't, I didn't, exp- I knew I was capable of doing it, but my, my truthful expectation was to win a medal. Right. So to win the gold medal, set a world record, you know, and then to break Edwin's record as well. Not just, right. you know, could have been any other, any, I could have, I could have been in the triple jump or something like that, but I was, it was the, the most covered right. record of track and field by far. You couldn't yeah. even, you, you couldn't compare any other world record, you know, based upon, the streak, right? He went to the sport. What he's done with um, with the drug testing within the drug testing community, all the yeah. things that Moses has done, the procedures he have, the procedures me, you know, I, I definitely climbed up on those shoulders. So, so of course, when I achieved that accomplishment, that was anything and everything that I wanted. Um, but even at times, I felt that me breaking that much record was a little bit too shocking for the general public because no one really kind of exalted the fact that we're looking for the fact that Edwin Trevor was going to be broken in, right. you know, when I did it. And I'm like, yeah. and I didn't prepare for it at all as well. Um, folks says, well, you know, one of the questions was, had, had been, um, because I, I saw this, obviously prior to any major sporting event, you gotta, you, you, you gotta have your ducks in order. You have, you have your PR person doing this, that, and the other. you have your folks reaching out to the reporters and the magazine people and all the statisticians and all that. So all that has to be, worked and you have to do all the press work and you have your, your contacts with the media companies and the, and the network so they can do these special interest story. There was no special interest story done on me at all, at all. And, and I, and it's kind of difficult for me to go, why wasn't one? Because, you know, going to Jordan high school, coming up out of Watts, being Coca-Cola future Olympian of 1984. Um, right. I got a $1,000 scholarship from the Coca-Cola bottling company that year. And I took that thousand dollars and used and utilized it for my registration fees for the fall at UCLA. Right. I was like the, the only the money that I got, and it's crazy because um, that marketing campaign that that was done, it was a thousand dollar scholarship, and it was uh, a job, a volunteer job on the hurdling crew at the 80, 84 Olympics. So I literally would have been out in the Coliseum moving hurdles around with my with my with my Converse polo right. on and my beige khakis and my sneakers moving hurdles around for Edwin or, or Roger or whoever else is out there. That would, that was my volunteer job. And I would have handily took it. But the fact that I had a paying intern job, internship job at Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena mm-hmm. uh, during that same period, we had a carpool of students that we would drive past the Coliseum in the morning and drive back on 110 coming back stuck in traffic. Every time we obviously coming from, Flower shoot up into right. the one of uh, the end, this nasty traffic, and get home and then lock in on the television. That happened prior. That happened during the trials that they had in L.A. and then of course during the games. Um, but then they go to UCLA. So it was like in my case, it was definitely a Cinderella story. Walk on to Westwood. Yeah. To record holder and all and everything and anything and everything in between of that experience um, for me to actually, you know my exclamation mark was that was that world record you know that stood for 29 years i can't i can't complain especially 
over the years watching uh, far cable athletes than myself mm-hmm. attempt to break my my, my soft record. <laughs> right. right. Uh, you know, so what? So now watching the evolution of the sport, you know, of the of the of the runners. Yeah. And we've done to it. Um, I clap and I clap and cheer for these guys all the time. I'm just, you know, this is obviously a track fan, but man, I see what they've done in the hurdles, and I, I'm like, you know what? I can I can take credit and say I was pretty much responsible for that wave because sure. I gave I gave them some to really, you know, I I gave them a, you know, I gave them the measuring stick, you know, to, to 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 raise the bar, and they did just that. And we still haven't seen any the rest of what's going to go on in the, in the men's race. You know, I think I think Rye is going to run. Rice cable running faster than what Carson currently run the 4593. Yeah. I personally feel that Rai Rai is capable of running, you know, 455 in the hurdles. Wow. Basically, when he's done in the hurdles already, uh, to what he, because uh, he's still learning the race. I can I can see the things, the mechanics of the race in which he's um, having issues with. Right, and I'm looking at the minutia. I'm looking at the things that he can correct, that he can you know correct, and he can do um, run a bit faster. But the beauty of the hurdles that has happened over the past two, three years, in its evolution, is just that you don't just have one dominant individual. Yeah, I mean, Carson came in and was dominating the race, but you know, a simple injury could take you out out of out of the the, the, the top spot. Now you have yeah. a young kid out, out of uh, Brazil, you know, who's you know, the Santos runs at 46, 29. I mean, wow. yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I say the same thing. I go, wow. You know, and, and I, 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 a lot of conversation had been prior to the Olympics. Well, you know, I know after the Olympics, when Carson ran as fast as he did was, you know, we talked about shoe technology and track technology. That mm-hmm. was always a great conversation, you know, because everybody was talking about or discussing the, the carbon fiber and the new vapor flies. And of course, right the um, aeronautic, well, basically the model track that was designed by aerospace engineers uh, in which so the athletes can get as much, damn near as much energy off the track as they put in the track. Right. You know, it's like those uh, gymnast, those gymnast floors that they use, they have the yeah. cushion and have yeah. the spring. So this particular track literally and specifically says, this is what's, this is what's happening in this new formation of uh, of materials within this track, and people, you know, you have you have the the, the critics say, "Well, is that it's fair?" This <laughs> technology, yeah. yo, I, I ran on a Mondo surface; it wouldn't it wouldn't ascend the track, right? So, for somebody who ran, you know, an Olympic record on the cinder track, you can't compare. You know, I can't compare what they did right. to what I've done. All weather, thirteen millimeter, yeah. you know, vulcanized rubber. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> right. going to be different. The give back is going to be that, but the effort is the same. Yeah. You're going to go out there and push it to the limits, and, and and hopefully, you know, go out there and do your very best. And I was able to do that uh, in spite of the things that uh, that I had to go through. And I think everything that I did have to go through made me a better, better hurler, definitely a better person. Uh, and like, you know, now I sit back and, and pat myself on the back, but then I have all these great relationships with these track and field folks. And I, and I, and I think in my case, the light went out. <laughs> Saw that. I had, I had, I had the opportunity to um, run in, run in, like I would say pretty much the golden age or a golden age of athletics 
uh, that it, we hadn't seen in a long, long time, in a very long time. So I'm trying to get my position right. Yeah, it's amazing the the things that that you brought up. There was one uh, you hit on a while back, um, like your first time there as opposed to your second. And I yeah. I think I've told oh, yeah. the story before, like getting to the uh, to the Arcadia meet I, as a junior. I jumped six uh, eight on a Thursday, and I was all excited because my coaches got me into Arcadia the very next day, and because Arcadia was always about taking you know the best they could possibly get. Well, that mm -hmm. year was loaded with seven footers. One of them was Mike Powell. Um, there was like a bunch of kids that jumped six ten, seven feet. And I'd seen their name in the paper every week, you know, for a couple of years. And yeah. so I, I get to that meet and I'm walking around like a little kid at an all-star game, you know, like trying to get autographs. You know, I mean, Mike Powell walks up and goes, is that your mark? And I'm like, this right here? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, okay. And he runs from my mark and jumps and goes off and triple jumps somewhere. And I'm just like, wow, that was really cool. And, you know, opening height six, four. And I'm like six, four, I've never opened a six, four in my life, you know, and I ended up making the opening height and was just stoked. I was stoked to be there. Right. Next year, when I got there, I walked in going, I'm going to win this thing. I mean, the mindset in just one year had changed completely. So when you said that I was, that's interesting because I'm always like, feeling and anybody yeah. that's been involved in the sport who knows that feeling knows it. We know we all, we're on that yeah. same box and no one can, no one can take that from us because we know we internalize it and we know what it feels like. And we know what the expectation is the following year. Like, okay, I right. haven't done that. I can put these emotions down because I, I can take this energy and utilize it in my efforts to clear this bar. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it works, you know, I like the, the, the thing about writing on the wall, Kevin, I have told my jumpers for so long. I'm like, look, what's your goal? What's your goal for this season? And they say, oh, I want to jump five, six. I'm like, okay. Every time you start to do run-throughs this year at any meet, I said, put the bar at five, six. I want you to look at that bar all the time so you get uh, used to it. So it's not going to be like you PR'd at five, four, and now it goes up to five, six. So like, oh, my gosh, that's really high. No, you've been looking at that bar. You've set that bar. Like, you wrote it on the wall. I'm like, you should measure up a thing on your wall and put a bar there. So when you walk into your bedroom – you see a bar that's at five, six, you know? And uh, so I, I took that from what you said out of that. I'm like, uh, that's another example of, of the things, you know, that I think about. And then, um, is, is, you know, what happens? Um, like I said, you got to get out your comfort zone too. Cause had I mm -hmm. gotten real comfortable being a high hurdler, um, I would have never tempted to even want to try the intermediates at all. I would have, I would have, I would have, bumped heads with the coach i would have i would have thought any in, in, anything and everything to keep myself from becoming enemy to hurler as yeah. opposed to you know what this is my golden opportunity to solidify myself on this team yeah i got some great teammates i'm a great teammate i want to go out there and participate with these guys there's a lot that we can do together uh, and that was the mindset of being a, uh, being a great teammate and out of out of the you know being a, wanting to be a great teammate your individual uh accomplishments definitely come out of that you yeah, because you you always seem to have a tendency to push yourself a bit more harder when you know you, you're uh, it's on the line for more other people than yourself. A lot I was, of times you can give you can give up on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, another a quick thing that came to me was I've been I've been working with my athletes just recently. What you're talking about, I call it um, my uh, uh, neuromuscular stimulation. I call it NMS, like really fast, fast feet. So we've been using the hash marks on the football field. And I'm like, okay, 
let's go down and just, I want you to go one foot on the a hash and the other foot on the green and that same foot on the hash and, the other, and like really short steps. I'm like, this has nothing to do with technique. It has nothing to do with cycling or anything else. I'm just like, just go, you know, really, really quick. And then we'll go from that to, okay, your left foot hits every other hash. And then how about your left foot hitting, skipping a hash, right? So we're going from a, a half of a hash to a full hash to a two. And I'm like, once you get to about two, that's about it for most people. You might be able to hit three with those legs that you're talking about. But I go, it, it's really interesting because it's teaching me a lot about um, your stride length and stride rate. Yeah. I mean, so when, this is the thing I, I read about this on your Wikipedia, but um you have mentioned it several times while you're talking and and maybe some of our listeners out there don't know and and if you're listening this is again raise the bar with Troy Haynes it's we're having a, a very long conversation with um, Kevin Young from all the way from Switzerland he's being gracious with his time it's very late over there and um, but I, the one thing I want to talk about quickly was your the 12 and 13 step that you're mentioning now for some of you who don't know anything about hurdling if you're going Kevin mentioned ambidextrous and, and he's switching feet. Very, very difficult to switch feet. Most people do that completely out of desperation because for whatever reason, they got to the hurdle and the wrong foot was there and they took off. It's like somebody trying to do their best long jump off the wrong foot. So you apparently mastered both where you got to a place where you could, according to you and working with John Smith, he's like, I don't want you to do 12s here because 12s would have been alternating, Right. Was 12 alternating, 13 was the same. Cause I know the same, it's gotta be an odd number for me. Like I started with my left foot and I jumped on my left. And so that was always an odd number. So I remember thinking that I'm like, okay, his odd number means he's going the same leg. And then mm -hmm. that would be the more either consistent, like you said, or John knew it was your strong leg. And then, but you were real comfortable. Like you mentioned a couple of times, like I just liked hitting that 12 and mm -hmm. just rolling on through. Right. So but then you have your problems at the end, right? I've always felt obviously the difference, the uh, the comfort level of 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 uh, stepping over with the left or, or the right. But I was able to do it, and I think that was probably because I had no the, I had no fear, because you know as a high jumper, when you when you when you're a young high jumper, you got to figure out okay which which is which is the side I'm going to learn how to the jump right on. right. And I remember. I remember learning how to jump obviously from from both sides, but being more comfortable jumping from my left side. Cause I can jump from the right side, but I coming from the left side, I was able to jump. And that was the, but the crazy thing about that was I remember in the long jump at UCLA, I had jumped 24, seven on one foot and 24, no, 25, seven on one. And thank you, 25, four on one leg. My, on my, on my dominant leg, I jumped 24, Put it this way. I was able to jump on my right leg, which is my less dominant leg. I can feel I can jump further off my right leg, but I had no control at all. Right. So I can run and hit the board and, and pop up very strong. But once I got up here, I had no coordination. Yeah, you couldn't figure out how to land it, right? Just you could, you could, could yeah. not put all the mechanics together to land. Yeah. But I, on my left leg, was which was my, 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 my dominant layup leg, you know, my dunking right. leg, I could run and hit it. And just going to the mechanics of an, an arm swing and get yeah. to the pit. But I remember recalling the power I would have coming off the right leg and just going up, but having no control. So it was like, yeah. get up. And then it's like, okay, <laughs> come back. Yeah. Uh, but with that, being able to do that definitely helped me 
be a better hurdler. And like I, like you mentioned earlier, when I first started hurdling, that was like the most, the biggest issue because my stride was so long that when I would get to the, the uh, get to the hurdle in and tw- 13 long steps, foot. yeah, it keeps changing. Always, I was always chopping. Yeah. I would, okay, I'm trying to go 13 steps. The great at with Moses goes 13 steps. I can do that. I'm, you know, I'm taller than him. Yeah. I'm running, get to the hurdle, I'm approaching, I'm attacking, but I'm up on it. As soon as I'm getting up on it, I'm chopping, trying to go 13. And that, that, I did that the whole season, that whole season in, in 88, the whole season. And then when I narrowed it, when I, actually, I did that my freshman year. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my, my sophomore year. Matter of fact, obviously with that 11 step. Right. <laughs> season in, in, in 86 but that's always been uh, a recurring a recurring occur- something that was re- reoccurring but I did I felt that I didn't have any control over it because I wasn't taught mentally to control it was just you know just right. go out and run um, but it wasn't until I got serious about it and we started breaking the race down so okay no break it and then it became more comfortable because it made practices a lot easier to, to, to go after and it became a point where John and I were able to really mix things up you know you know how it is uh, as, as in the quarter, in running a quarter, you know, just different, I guess, critical zones, you could say, where athletes kind of, you know, run into the turn and then flow out, run into it and flow out of the turn. Or, yeah. You know, drop it straight away. Different, different, different moments. I was mm-hmm. able to learn how to do just that with the hurdles. And even with the adjustment that an athlete would actually have um, in running a quarter mile, because the, the approach is different running a quarter mile, say, for instance, on a four by four if you're the opening leg and you're the second leg, you know, obviously with that, if it's, you know, a three turn, a two turn stagger, you know, you second leg, you just, you know, you run around then you break in. Yeah. That's different than the first leg where you got to stay in your lane. Right. Right. All the way around the track. And it's a whole different mindset. And I used to think that running, I used to think that running the first leg, even while in college was, a. I didn't ever want to run the first leg because like you would, I would think in my mind, I would have a tendency of being so far out. But not knowing, the first leg is really probably the easiest leg to run in a four by four, because right. based on the stagger, it pretty much even where you where you may hand it off, you may hand it off way in the back. But the way with the break is, if your yeah. second leg is, is a dominant runner, yeah, they'll they'll make up that that they'll make up that section that you may have fell off of, you know, easily. Yeah, you know? yeah. and I I learned that. That sort of strategy running against guys like with guys like Danny and Steven and, and, and right. Henry, that was just kind of make the you know utilizing the sorted the sorted the sorted variations of your stride length and how you push and pull on the track with your forces. That and I learned a lot about that, you know. But I was very comfortable running up on the hurdles like that, and it got to a point where I, I had to be, you know. And so I would because I think the biggest frustration that I always had was chopping. The biggest yeah. frustration. Because right. you know you're giving your, you're not, the effort that you're providing, you're losing it on each, each hurdle that you run up on, you're backing off. You run up on, yeah. you're backing off. Yeah. You do that four or five times. Then, the, of course, with the force that you're utilizing, yes. jump, playing the hurdle, yeah. you're spent. You're spent. You really have to spend more time doing endurance work as opposed to speed work. You know, you got to right. find that, that happy media, you know. But I love watching these guys run now. I mean, um, I had to get used to it because I realized how conservative we were running back in the nineties based on what these guys are doing. I mean, you know, guys running 22 and 20 point 20 and change for the first 200, you know, literally blazing. And one of the reasons, even prior to my world record got broke, getting broken, 
I was with these guys. I said, you got those hurdles are so talented. They were, I, I thought personally they were running too fast to the first the first half of the race because they were expending ex, uh, expending so much energy coming home where they were, which was affecting their stride coming home. I remember when in 2019, when there was a match race between Rye Benjamin and Carson, I think uh, Rye had just raced, and oh no, I think they both were running. Rye had ran at 47.02 at NCAA championships, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think a week prior to that, Carson had ran a very a 47 low time. They, they met up here in Zurich in 2019, August 29th, if I'm not mistaken, um, as a head-to-head competition and a challenge to my record. So I'm, a, I'm on the infield and I'm watching these guys run and the gun goes off and I'm literally watching it tick down. And I'm saying, okay, the world record is about to get broken tonight because I'm looking at these guys' pace for the first three, four hurdles. I mean, first hurdle, they get to the first hurdle, 5.5 seconds or faster, 5.2, shit. I mean, they're blazing. And uh, I'm like, okay, that's world record. That's beyond world record pace. They're moving. Um, prior to that, Carson starts to play with 13 steps to see if he can manage it. And he, one race, he I think he managed it to about the, the eighth or the ninth hurdle. Then he came, finished up with uh, 15s, right? Um, but this particular race, Carson gets out, runs, but he runs 13 all the way to the eighth hurdle. And then he shifts, he, he, he shifts down, he hurdles down and goes 15 for hurdles nine and 10. Rye runs 13 all the way around the track and gets to the 10th, gets to the ninth hurdle at 13, but gets to the fourth to the tenth hurdle at 14. So Carson drops down from 13 to 15. Rye goes from 13. And switch 14. legs. He had to switch legs in, right? So that Rice switches legs, and that, that momentum, that lack of momentum causes him because Carson is literally, he's still running still that dominant leg, yeah. But so yeah. even if he even if he even if he slows up, he still has the, the type of aggression. Yeah. He can get in control, he can get to the hurdle. So, like you said, Rye takes it with his alternate leg, throws him off a little bit, got to land and settle everything. Carson just goes over, clears the hurdle. Then it becomes a foot race, a fitness for the last 40 meters. Um, Carson runs 46.92. Rye runs 46.98. He ties uh, Bamba, Samba's, Samba's time. So now we have four guys. Other than under 47. Under 47 seconds. And you had two guys in one race to run under 47 seconds. Um, so you and knew it was coming of, a couple of years yeah, ago. I left out of there. I left out of there going, oh, the record is definitely going to get broken because somebody's going to figure out that yeah. I just need to improve on these last the last few hurdles in my effort. Um, but I wasn't shocked by the record being broken because I thought Karan Clement was going to break it. And then I thought and I thought Angela was going to break it first, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. He, in my head, he 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 should have broke, you know, he should have he should have broken it. Based upon what he was capable of doing in a flat race, he's a forty, you know, a forty-four oh six or oh nine quarter mile. Yeah. So as a as a person who can run that fast on the flat, my expectation was definitely he's going to run faster than 40, 46, 78 seconds in the, in the hurdles. Yeah. Best became forty-seven twenty-five. Um, then Karan Clement came up. He broke my collegiate record at the time, my NCAA record. Uh, 
and then he ran a 40, I saw him run a 47, 30, 33 or 32 in, at the Home Depot Center that one year. Mm -hmm. With that, I think he ran 47, 32. And he made it look so easy. I was like, okay, you know, after after Angelo, it's going to be Karan. And neither one of those were able to, you know, push push their limit, that limit and break that record. And of course, Samba comes around from um, Qatar and, you know, he runs that 47.98 and uh, breaks that 47 bracket barrier. And I'm like, okay, what, but, but I, these new guys, they're amazing though, man. They're, they're really just taking the limit off of, uh, yeah. out of the field, you know? And I, I, I like, I like the, well, I feel great. I feel great. The fact that I was able to contribute and do that and do just that, you know, I live, I'm a legend now I'm a living legend because of what I've done in the, in the, in the, in that 46 second barrier exchange. But I love the fact that I was, I had been able to uh, hold on to the record as long as I did uh, based upon the circumstances. I remember at one point, uh, Mike Powell and I had the two oldest records in, well, mm -hmm. in, in the Randy Barnes in, yeah. in men's events, you know? Yeah. Other than a few other with Disco Store and um, Zaniski and those guys, but we had the, we you know we had it. Yeah, I on that. Long hold. The fact that he broke the record in '91 and I broke that was he broke. I mean, the fact that he broke Beeman's record. Yeah, Beeman's record in '91, and I think that's what make that that makes to me personally makes what I've done and what Mike had done and our closeness and our connection so much more meaningful. The fact that we both were high jumpers, mm -hmm. long jumpers, uh, and and we you know we love have a love for basketball. Yep. Um, he breaks the most coveted record in field events that long jump by Bob Beeman at one year. I break one of the most coveted events in, in travel field. Everyone's heard the record, and I, and and literally Troy, I remember literally having this conversation with Mike Powell on numerous occasions. Uh, especially the year in which he wasn't able, maybe in 86, the year he wasn't able to compete at the Pepsi Invitational because he still had a collision eligibility. Mm -hmm. He was so hot. He was, he was, he was, he was so mad because here's a track that he jumps on every, every day, every single day. Yeah. And this particular day with the top long jumpers in the world coming to, coming to LA in Westwood to compete on his, on his track. He couldn't. He couldn't get. A, he couldn't get an opportunity to jump against Carl uh, and and and, and um, all yeah. those guys. I got Ryan. to get. That was crazy. I got to jump against Sotomayor at that meet. And that, yeah, Sotomayor oh, came yeah. to UCLA and jumped, and I, you know, I'm a nobody, nothing, and I got to jump against him and at the UCLA Pepsi meet. Right, and I think a lot of times Mike, Mike issue was he wouldn't get. He wouldn't get in the check. He was trying to, he, you know, creative. Creatively, he was like, you know, y'all can make things happen, but they didn't make nothing happen for him. Right. But he had a, he had a, you know, after that, after that jump off him and Carl had it in Tokyo. Oh yeah. To put him on the map. That Absolutely. Map. We're trying to, we're trying to line him up next. It'll, it'll be a good follow up. I got uh, Willie Banks Bloody a couple awesome. weeks Bloody ago. Awesome. So yeah, go from Willie to you to to Mike Powell, all former world record holders, and uh -huh. uh, you know Olympians. Uh, and I don't know. Did Mike, Bruins, yeah, did Mike make a team? Bruins first, Olympians. Yeah. You're the only gold medalist in the group at the at the Olympic level. Um, and then Mike won the world championships. Won and the world yeah, championship. so that's quite a club. 
Yeah, I mean, awesome. and, the, and just the legacy of of, uh, of the individuals who who has set the who has set the bar in the event. Because, like yeah. I said, I, I idolized Willie Banks when you know, him and Dwight Stone when they were when they were competing in the seventies. Well, Willie's like yourself too. He's a, a great uh, you know um, proponent and advocate of the sport. You know, he's just he's super involved in you know a lot of different committees and you know the same we had some of the same discussions about you know trying to increase the visibility and you know the popularity of track you know around the world he's intimately involved with that so that's a, a good good company to be in mm -hmm. <laughs> well, definitely, definitely i think uh, actually willie and i probably need to do do more together i know he, he works a lot with andre um mm -hmm. as, as early guys drake because you know that's their their cohorts from the same you know that, that same era yeah. Um, so, but the fact that we have these these intimate connections with these guys, um, yeah, is, is to me it's amazing. It's it's amazing, and, and like I said, at the end of the day, it's always it's, it's always a story to tell. You know, the matriculation yeah. of one's, one's abilities to be able to go to the, 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 the push themselves to the biggest, the highest limits in which they felt themselves, and to go out to perform on that stage. Um, but in my case, my experience was the fact that I'm just so lucky that athletics have given me the opportunity to, to travel. I remember growing up in LA and Watts, man, you know, every summer was just, okay, how many of my, how many of my grade, grade school friends I'm going to be going, who funerals I'm going to, how many of these guys are going to, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to be in school together in the fall. You know, that yeah. was like, yeah, you're out. But when I, it's so crazy. I realized this in my lifetime, had I went to USC and had to say the, the, uh, the educational issues that I, that I had at, at UCLA and was able to overcome, I probably would have, would have uh, buckled under them got on the bus and went back to Watts like that. Yeah. Sure would have got me. But the fact that I was on the west side of LA and I couldn't, by a stretch of imagination, get from Westwood to Watts <laughs> in a timely matter. And that's like a three hour bus ride. <laughs> right. You gotta, right? you gotta go from here to the airport and then get on the Santa Monica bus from the airport yeah. to through Santa Monica to Westwood big mess and if you didn't yeah. know the book you had to try to figure that out um so like i said and doing that era too in the 80s you got the crack cocaine and the games yeah. and uh. and all bullshit. um you know for someone like me who had to you know deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis yeah uh, you know it's, it, it, it could have been easy for me to just be distracted by and not even go forward and, and want to pursue track as a and to me i pursued track not as a career but just as a as an opportunity because where else like I said, one year I went from, they had the NYSP camp, um, uh, what's it called? No, the US, it was it basically, was a, we're, 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 we're camp counselors for the young rich kids up in Bel Air, Brentwood and Beverly Hills. Right. And, you know, they let kids come down the hill uh, and they come out on the track. They don't wanna, they don't wanna do anything on the track. It's hot as hell on Andrea right. Stadium, right. you know? We try to try to get them to do some calisthenics or something like that. They don't want to do it. We try to get them on the iron field, the job. They don't want, but they go from section to section. We deal with the day. We get paid our little a little buddy for the, you know. And I did that one summer. This is so crazy, Troy. Check this out. I had no idea that th there were these summer teams, these AE under 20 teams, these under 19 teams. Yeah, I, had, yeah. I was really clueless to that. Totally clueless. Had I known that, me running that 51 online, I think I may have maybe been under 20 still. I probably could have went out for these AAU, these uh, mm -hmm. USA teams, because I remember years later, 
talking to somebody. It's like, yeah, I was on the team. We went to we went to Japan. They had the Team USA uniform. I think it was a team in which Dennis Mitchell was on, and mm-hmm. um, a few cats from Florida were on that team. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know that exists. And I kind of realized that even from getting into UCLA, not knowing the the way in which athletes would get got recruited and any of that. Like I said, I wasn't right. on this big recruiting list, so I was just totally clueless. I just knew you you, you go out for a team, you make it, uh, you participate, you know, and if yeah. you're lucky, you get a scholarship. Um, yep. Yeah. And you get there and you realize it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, you got to peel back more layers than that. And it's a lot of politicking. And if you're not one to politic, you'd definitely be forgotten. You know, that, so, uh, but, that AAU thing is, is pretty intense, actually, both AAU, the, you got two versions of the junior Olympics yeah. you know, in the yeah. summer. So you've got the USA track and field version and the AAU version. And it's funny because I remember as a kid, yeah. we all participated in the AAU version up to a right. certain point. I had no idea about the USATF version. You know, it was yeah. always Echo, Jesse Owens, AAU stuff. Yeah. And you, you get the ribbons or your T-shirt and you medals and that was it. Yep. And, and and it's funny because now I'm thinking about it, AAU was very local. You had yes. the local clubs, local teams, and they would actually put together the local meets in the area yeah. that you would bounce around throughout Southern California. You didn't, nec- you didn't necessarily pick up and travel out of the state. You didn't have to with right. AAU. You yeah. Till the Olympics when they come around. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. So that I didn't understand it, but now, you know, years later, you go, okay, you see the politics that goes on even with the, um, oh. with the organizations. Well, that's the same thing we're talking about, too. Part of both the grassroots aspect of track and then also maybe why it's not growing is just because it's the same system that keeps running the same way. I think we the, market, the marketing of the, of, of the sport is different as well. This marketing sport is, is the same as well because if you look at it, it's all, I mean, the shoe company is going to market to their biggest consumers, the LDR community, you know, your weekend warriors, you know, you know, you want to sell a hundred million shoes. You yeah. Know, you're not going to sell a hundred million hurdling specifically, you know, hurdling shoes. Right. You're going to, you need somebody who's putting in a hundred miles a day on some, and some trainers who are going to go through three or four pair in a year. Yeah. You know, we're lucky, you know, if you're not an elite runner, you're not going to do that. You know, right. you're not going to, you're not going to wear those shoes out. Like you're going to, you know, and then, that's just seems to be the case. I think what needs to be happening is it needs to be more inter- integration, which is track people and 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 doing things amongst one another. You know. Yeah. You know how it's funny how the shoe companies, everybody. What I've seen is, and this one is a problem. I'm going to go back a few. A lot of a lot. Of, in track and field, those who run the sport, they're only running the sport from the angle of putting their product on the athlete. They really don't give a damn about who the athlete is or what the athlete represents or trying to get to know what the athlete represents. If you're running, because if you're already running fast, we got eyes on you. So we're just going to give you some shoes and let you let you run. But they don't get into uh, creating any type of sports-specific, personality-oriented marketing campaigns you know they got they got these campaign people that sit in the room and they create these campaigns that probably don't personify what the athlete actually does on a day-to-day or feel they do on a day-to-day basis or what type of things they're really connected to or grounded to you know and that doesn't feed seem that it feeds well to me to an overall recognition of the athlete's personality because what happens is if that one athlete 
doesn't do well the next year, they'll just, you know, fill in that, that, that those spikes with another athlete. Right. But right. athlete has a, has a personality that they can draw in from, from their, their specific community. They'll be popular among themselves and that specific in that area. And it may give them an, enough uh, energy, adulation, confidence for them to rise back up to the occasion because they're performing for, you know, their set crowd, you know, or their set, their set region. Um, and that's and to me that's what happened when you had the they had the club sports you know you had you know you had all your SMTC folks your Pacific Coast and you know we would go to these meets and we would compete hard just because we got the little singlet of this team on our chest you know but now everything is so saturated with a with a, with a logo yeah. you know yeah. same 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 you know color colorway you know only things change is the tag or a different colorway for a different a, a different uh, manufacturer but the vibe is, is still the same you know yeah. I don't know. Maybe I, I like the, that idea. Um, the team thing we mentioned, you know, even golf crazily going to it, but like you said, the, the dual meet is just a lost thing. It doesn't exist anymore, you know, and there used to be that you used to have the U S versus Russia, right. Every year they would and put together a team and you're talking about a dual meet. That's where you go, Hey, we take our three best against their three best. And you talk about that to uh, people that, uh, you know, even the parents in high school are just starting to understand that, but it's like, it's, it's really a lost art, you know, being, trying to sweep an event and get all right. nine. Exactly. And, you you know, really have to play the, chess. You have to play yeah. chess and, and move your, move your, move your, your, your pieces around the table. You know, you may yeah. have shitty doors or, or shitty sprinters and great doors or uh, shitty distance yeah. runners or, you know, and, and, and as a good coach, you get with your you get with your coaches and everybody sits back and they put their their you know put their brains yeah. together and they figure out you know it's so funny because it's to the point how I how I got duped into running the four hundred meter the, the hurdles the hurdles <laughs> high school, like I said I trained the highest you know, that was my my specific event that in the long jump I love those two events we had a track beat at Carson High School Carson had the the, the three hundred meter hurdles stacked with their runners obviously we only had one three hundred meter hurdle in the race and I remember my coach was like yo Kev you, do you mind if you run the hurdles today? The three, the, the, the three hundred hurdles. I said, sure. He said, I just want you to try to get. You know, I don't want. I don't want Carson. Break them up. Yeah. I don't want Carson getting all these points in the in the in the event, right? And uh, and I'm like, well, I ain't got nothing to lose in my head. I'm like, I'm not going to win the race, but I can place in the top five, and you know, yeah. The worst I can do is, is, is don't come up with any points. And I'm yeah. not. And I'm at the field. I'm like, he ain't this. You know, this guy's not going to beat me. Long story short, gun goes off. I'm running in a race I don't think much about, and I win the race. I win in the fashion that I beat the field really bad. I beat our specific hurdler, beating bad, but I'm clueless when I cross the tape. I'm tired, I'm winded, yeah. but I win in such a style and fashion that the coach is just like salivating practically. He jumps, he runs, <laughs> and we fall on the ground. And I'm trying to figure out what the hell did I just do, right? <laughs> it's like he has this look on his face like, I finally found my hurdler, my 300 meter hurdler. Right. A little bit of contention after with my and it's funny my, my teammate his name was Troy 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 what's Troy Troy I can't think of Troy as Troy his last name was damn his first name was Troy can't think of his last name all of a sudden damn but Troy his name was Troy uh, but Troy was you know he was a football player hurdler anyway I became a hurdler that a, a three hundred meter hurdler that day and that was the that was the, the start of me. You know my 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 um my my trip, you know because it's yeah. been a long trip. 
and be, uh, to becoming a world record holder uh, for X amount of years, uh, world champion, Olympic champion. Uh, yeah. And I was I was Amazing, talking right. to somebody yesterday. Oh, I was talking with my friend, a friend of mine. And we we're having this conversation, and we we're talking, we we're talking about sports. And this was at the meet. This was at the Lausanne meet after the meet. I was talking with a friend, um, Mushami, and she had no idea that I won the very first, the very first ESPY in track. You know, when they were giving out the ESPYs and Oh, that's I won, cool. Won the very first one. And I'm like, and I realized that even the, the track fans, because you got the generation, the track is very generational, but the history of it kind of glues us all together. She had no idea. And she was like, that's something you need to talk about all the time, especially how the makeup of the ESPY awards have changed over years. It went yes. from something, with, you know, specific to, well, put it, it was it wasn't as many categories as they do now. Right. And they didn't. They didn't. And they didn't involve all the uh, agencies, like you know, right. why not, the ad agencies and the and the celebrity of of the other sports, and they're finding different categories, obviously, to recognize people in in their efforts uh, within sports as a as a foundation, but things that they do on and off the track, or, or field, or court. So the makeup of the of the, of the essays have changed because I remember we had they had televised, but it was a it was a New York, uh, and now it's this big to do that it's like an A list event. It's oh yeah, crazy. yeah, it's crazy. Hollywood artists, movie comedians, politicians. Yeah, I mean you know it's 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 a, it's a far cry from what it evolved what it what it what it was, but you know it's still the essays and the, and right. the fact that I was the very first one. Says I did something right. Absolutely. Years. So. That's well, hey, quick. Kevin, it's it's got to be getting late for you on that end, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I, we're running into a, a couple hours, so we probably have to uh, do some editing, yeah. cut this into a couple yeah. pieces. But uh, hey, uh, dude, it's been way too long. I really appreciate. I we definitely got to keep in contact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, put in a put in a word with Mike. I've I've gotten a couple we different. Got, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put the word out that you know we do. We do <laughs> the brewing's going on. We're gonna do that. That's the, absolutely. I'll do, I'll do a podcast. Uh, I'm gonna uh, reach out to you as well. Awesome. Hey, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, for those yeah. of you finishing off our podcast here, we're talking with Kevin Young, the uh, great American UCLA. Uh, world champion, Olympic champion, world record holder, gold medalist. Everything is on that list. First SB <laughs> we find out here at the end. And, uh, and uh, highest, highest ranking uh, podcast member yet. <laughs> so definitely, definitely. And I just want to say, uh, you know, forgive me for my movement around and my lighting. Like I said, it's, uh, oh, no. when I would able to, I would, I should have been able to set up a bit better than this, but it didn't happen, but I, I, the fact that I have an opportunity to sit back and talk to you and, and chat, we, I've, I haven't seen you in, in decades. Yeah. Decades. Yeah. It's, it's been yeah. since 86 for sure. That was my senior year <laughs> you know what off, I mean? <laughs> off campus after that. So yeah, yeah. that was That's my big prep for you. 36 years. Yeah. Crazy. Well, Crazy. Hey, thanks. Thanks again, Kevin. And uh, cool. God bless you. Hang in there. We'll talk soon. Um, I'm be honored to be on any podcast that you're hosting. And uh, okay. I don't know if I'll have anywhere near as many good stories. <laughs> all right well you take care it's good talking to you all right make sure we, we reach out to mike and make this happen for him as well absolutely yeah it'd be a great run
You got, right. you got great story. You got the Foot Locker stuff. Make sure you, if you get Mike, you got to talk about him DJing because Mike is a, a damn good DJ. Yeah. At the time where hip hop was doing, was flipping around, and he he has even better stories. But in any case, as awesome. good chat, you talk court, you take care. All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right. We're gonna end.